Welcome back to Behind the Play. Uh, today, I'm very excited to, to have Adam Iafredi, a good friend of mine, and, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different than we've done on the podcast. Uh, this is going to be some more analysis, and in this segment, uh, I'm going to rip off uh, uh, Bill Simmons, maybe the, the podfather a little bit, and our segment's going to be Canada's teams. So we're going to go in depth a little bit uh, to start off with the NHL. They had their free agency in the draft. We'll go over the Raptors, obviously a Canadian team, and then we'll do some Canadian uh, national teams. In this case, today probably uh, the men's and uh, the Canadian men's and women's national team. So it'll be a fun one. I think we'll we'll do a couple of these uh, over time. And uh, I'm I'm really uh, lucky to have my uh, my friend Adam uh, join the, the podcast. And uh, how's it going, Adam? I'm stoked. This is uh, all the things I like to to watch and talk about in one pod. So we should have a lot of fun with this. Exactly. That's what that's what I have you on because we have we have so much <laughs> overlapping uh, fandoms. Other than I'm I'm not a, a Niners fan, so I can't or a Newcastle fan. So I, we have yeah. we differ in very small uh, cases. So, anyways, let let's start off a little bit with uh, the Leafs, and unless I go on Twitter which Elon Musk might have already broken by the time I go on my phone. Um, the Leafs just signed uh, Tyler Bertuzzi to a one-year $5.5 million contract. That's very unexpected. Uh, most people thought he'd be signing for at least a long term. So they've also, the Leafs have also signed Klingberg. Um, they've got Reeves, who the fans are uh, maybe not all too pleased about. Um, and they've lost Bunting to Carolina, Hall to Detroit, Kerfoot to Arizona, Achari to Pittsburgh, Na- um, O'Reilly to to Nashville. Just just as a Leafs fan, uh, Adam, just talk a little bit about what mm-hmm. you think of the Leafs' uh, kind of first two days of uh, free agency. It definitely feels like a a new era. It feels like uh, you know Trilliving's come in and immediately made his mark. And I, I don't know if it's for better or for worse, but certainly for difference. Um, O'Reilly to Nashville hurt. That was one I think I kind of kind of caught me off guard. And of all the of all the players going out. I don't know that any of the other ones really bothered me all that much. Um, yeah. But, but the O'Reilly one, I thought there'd be a good chance that they'd resign him. Um, and I thought he was valuable in what he brought in terms of his winning pedigree and just, just kind of captain material type guy. Um, I thought it's what the team lacked. I thought when they acquired him last season, um, I thought it was like the perfect type of move. And I don't want to be too revisionist in my assessment of it because they didn't, you know, go in a cup. I still think it was a good move. I still think it was the right move at the time. So to not bring him back kind of sucks. Uh, but I think some of the business they've done has been pretty tidy. Um, obviously, Klingberg. I like the Klingberg signing. I thought it was real, okay. real smart. Um, and then the Reeves the Reeves signing, I kind of am in two minds about. Um, because I think you have a portion of the fan base that would agree. You know, f- for example, when you had Matthew Nyes injured by Sam Bennett in the yeah. last, last playoff series against the Panthers that, you know, the types of teams the Leafs want to be are teams that will have players sort of step up and retaliate in those moments and be difficult to play against and, and just be like, be a, be a pain in the, you know, what to play against yeah. in a playoff series, like Florida was to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, Reeves is that guy. He He's not a great hockey player, but he is very much the kind of guy that yeah. settles the scores and you maybe don't take those little luxuries and, and, you know, finish your check and try something a little bit on the edge um, if you have a guy like Ryan Reeves in, in, in the opposition's lineup. So I, I think there's value there. I don't think there will be any value through the 82-game regular season, but I think there is value when you get into a playoff series 
for a guy like Ryan Reeves, just purely as an intimidator. And I also think he'll kick the team in the, in the butt a little bit, you know, in terms of just the mentality of, you know, when someone comes after our rookie, like we take care of him. Yeah. I think there's, there's an element of that that was missing. And again, we saw it last year in the playoffs. Um, the Leafs are a team that's always kind of relied on skill and they, and they, they would much rather be the team that instigates a penalty and then ends up on the power play. But I do think, over the course of an entire playoffs and a playoff run, you need to be a team that settles the scores a little bit and you need to be hard to play against. And that power play is good, but the the, the message, the overall message you can send uh, in that moment, uh, it could be stronger if you have a guy like Reeves in the lineup. So I actually like, I like the Reeves signing three years. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's probably what they had to offer to get him. Yeah. And I think they saw enough value in bringing him in. Because I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't see a ton of value in having him for three years. But for next year, does he does he improve things next year in the playoffs potentially? So for me, it was worth a shot. Um, the Bertuzzi one is probably the most interesting, and that's real recent news. Like as of I don't know in the, within the Less last hour. hour. Yeah. Hour, so maybe. so Bertuzzi, again, the type of player that the Leafs um, the Leafs probably need to add if they want to make yeah. a playoff run. That the type of player they've been lacking for years. And they've kind of got, you know, pieces of that player. And they try little things like fringe moves. Like I thought Achari was kind of, you know, he's he's a tough-nosed physical type guy that helped a little bit. But ideally, if you can get a guy who's who plays that way, but also has some skill and can score and do other things like Bertuzzi can do, I think that there's a lot more value in that type of player. So I like the Bertuzzi. I know it's only a year. It's not really what I expected. But I thought he'd sign longer, but um, wherever he signed. But, but I do think, you know, at least for for – in, in the short term, it was it was a good move, and I'm happy about that one. Yeah, I think for Bertuzzi, I mean, I, I think the player fits perfectly with the team. Uh, you talked about Reeves. He brings that, but is a good player. I think he only had eight goals last year, but he had five in seven games in the playoffs. So clearly was a playoff. I think he had 10 points. I, I could be wrong, but I know he had five goals in the seven games for Boston last year. Mm-hmm. And he's just a playoff-type player. He's yeah. like a, a smaller version of Brady Kachuk, just in your face good goal scorer has been for a couple of years and in, in Detroit on very bad teams. Yep. Um, I really like that move. My question just is what is happening with their cap situation? Because mm-hmm. they're over the cap already. They have Sans- Samson off who I'd imagine they want to resign. He's an RFA, so he's mm-hmm. not. Um, and I'm I just, yeah. d- d- they're rumored to Domi by Chris Johnston and, and yeah. uh, David Pagnotta, who's going to come on the show in a, a couple of weeks. But just I I just find it really interesting because my first instinct when I see the Bertuzzi is is Nylander gone is Murray bought out is Brody traded I saw rumors about that so I for me it's like what's their next move if they sign a Domi they need a corresponding move to yeah to make that and they they lost so many guys like who did they make up they can't just sign guys to 700k and and really fill out the roster so I'm just really curious what they do after this and i really love the move bet on himself bet on the cap rising in bertuzzi but it'll mm-hmm. be really interesting to see what they do with the rest of their offseason yeah no i think i think you hit the nail on the head in that just if you do the quick math on it there's another corresponding move that's required uh, and you mentioned samsonov as a restricted free agent so that's some that's i mean that's the most important position they need to to deal with i, I thought there might have been some opportunities last season at the trade deadline or even prior to it um, for them to address the goaltending position. I think at the time they really liked what they had in Samsonov. And I don't think they, 
got eliminated because of Sansonov by any uh, you know by he any won them the first round. Yeah, he was he was great at times and at other times he was okay. Um I do think you know to make a run to make to a Stanley Cup you need great for four rounds and I, I would bet against Samsonov being great for four rounds. I'd probably bet on some other guys. But then again, we just saw Aiden Hill, who came into the year as like what the fourth string goaltender for for the Golden Knights, yeah. you know, kind of take the net and run with it. So I don't I don't want to suggest that that can just happen, you know, next year and the year after. I do think it's kind of an anomaly. But it goes to show you, you know, you don't necessarily have to uh, have this big money goaltender in the crease to to make a run like that. On the flip side, you had Florida, who was carried by Bobrovsky, a big money goaltender, who played like a, a two-time Vesna throughout the playoff, a two-time Vesna winner throughout the playoffs. So, you know, we all know he did during the regular of, season, right? He didn't like, at all during the regular. I season. I think maybe the the yeah. lesson in both those both those teams. I mean, in in Vegas, they had injuries to Thompson, to then Boswa mm. in the playoffs, and then obviously Aiden Hill took them over the line. But uh is it what uh, is it Dawson line it's line, Alex line sorry oh yeah, um, yeah Lions, was yeah. the starting goalie for for Florida because Spencer yeah. Knight uh when just was out for I think uh kind of going into player uh substance abuse kind of program but mm-hmm. um it seems as though it's to have a bunch of goalies and I if I were them I'd keep Samsonov unless it's literally we we just can't keep you but again that'd be really bad mm-hmm. roster management but I think Wall looked really good in the playoffs. Murray, I don't think so, but maybe he's <laughs> LTIR. So I think probably they bring back Samsonov and have kind of a tandem because that seems to be the 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 way teams are going forward unless yeah. you have a Vasilevsky. But it's going to be really interesting. And I think if you, let's say, you keep this team and bring them in to to the regular season, they, they'll probably won't be as good a regular season team, but they will probably mm-hmm. be just as good a playoff team uh, as they were last year uh, and won around and the Atlantic will be super competitive. So it'll be really interesting because this isn't the Atlantic of two years ago. You need no. to be pretty good to to make the playoffs. Now there's maybe one bad team in the Habs and they're not going to be terrible, terrible. So it'll be really interesting. No, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said. Um, as for, as for Matt Murray, I think he's going to be joining uh, Robida Lupul Island very shortly. So we would probably just, vaguely remember him this time next year um he'll be a thing of the past but uh, yeah he just his thing is for, first of all i think his best years as a goaltender are behind him but then you know you, you add add on the injuries and you just can't stay on the ice um and you can't commit any sort of real money to a player especially in that position who can't stay on the ice you need con- you need consistency and continuity so i think i think they'll find a way to uh to move on from murray and and i think uh my my hunch is that they'll probably want to resign samsonov as well but I don't. I don't think Samsonov's at a level where they'll think they can't replace him if they need to. Yeah, you know. So, so I'm kind of. I could see it going both ways. Is I guess what I'm trying to it's say. Just, I think it, they'll me, try to. Just... But if it's too, you know, if if it's a little steep and and they don't feel like they can do it comfortably, or they're not comfortable with the uh, corresponding moves that are going to have to come from resigning Samsonov, then I think they're they're more than content to let him walk and. You know, we'll know we'll know if that's a good decision when we have another podcast next year around yeah. this time, or maybe you know, in about ten months from now, uh, when they get bounced from the first round, and you know, we're asking questions about who's between the sticks. But um, in my opinion, I think Samsonov's a solid goaltender in the NHL. I don't, I don't think he's the type of guy like you mentioned the Vasilevsky earlier, where there's just a tier of goaltender who you you will pay that money because you know they're good enough to warrant that money 
he's not that guy. Like there, there are goalies out there who, who, who will demand, you know, eight, $9 million. And you're like, I just, what I have to pay him because they're so game changing yeah. that I have no problem. Like I, you know, if it means we, we have to, to lose a, a high power forward or one of our better defensemen, it's worth it because we know this guy's a stud. Like Samson up for me is not that type of goaltender. He's a guy who can maybe get hot and win you around, but I don't, I don't see him as a, as a true, t- you know, tier one type goaltender. I think he's probably a two, tier two or three goaltender, which the Leafs have probably had for most of the last 25 years. Like they've been in that tier two, three goaltenders. I don't know if they've really had, you could maybe argue like Anderson had a season or two in there where he was more than that, but maybe not in the playoffs, but yeah. Yeah. In, but in you know what I mean? Season he did. Yeah. No, for sure. I, for me, for me, Adam, I just, my question is, what do you think that happens with Nylander? It sounds as though Matthews will extend, um, probably not soon, but that everything you hear from Friedman to Traeger is that that's all but done in a sense. Um, so just what do you think of, of Nylander? How much money would you be willing to give him? I think he's looking for nine, 9.5. Like, just tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what you think about uh, Nylander. I think Nylander has been one of the consistent bright spots through the playoffs um, and every year. And even when he was getting a lot of flack and I, and I will be the first to admit, like I was one of the people who was a little bit hard on Nylander in the first few playoff losses, like the first few series losses, just feeling like he wasn't pulling his weight. He wasn't contributing enough for the tier of player. He is the, 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 you know, the way we think of him as, as sort of being a, an all-star level forward. Um, and I didn't think we saw that in the playoffs nearly enough. The last few playoff runs, that's that's been different, and he usually is a contributor. And even when you know other guys, Marner, for example, will sort of slip in and out of games. It seems like Nylander is a more constant presence. Um, I would pay him. I would pay him, even if the okay. end goal is to. So, so, so move you on. agree? Would you keep the core four? Is that is that? I would. I would not keep the core four. No, I would pay him. I would pay him. I'd probably keep Nylander. Um, I think I'd keep Nylander because again. When push comes to shove, he's shown up in the playoffs more than some other guys have. I think if you're just purely going off of who will return me the most money, who will return me the most value, and who is making the most money, I think Marner would be my guy out. I don't think you're gonna you're gonna be able to move Tavares for anything. Like I don't yeah. think you're getting anything back. So you really and 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 to 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 move on from Matthews would be like I, I incomprehensible. So. I think Marner would be the guy I'd look to move, honestly. Um, and it's not even to say I don't think Mitch Marner's fantastic. He is fantastic. It's because he's fantastic that I'd move him because I think you could find uh, many suitors and you, you can have a bidding war for Mitch Marner. He's the type of guy that, like, had – I just think about this all the time. Had the Leafs moved on from Marner last season when, you know, the situation with the Flames is going on and there's all this turmoil, they could have had Matthew Kachuk on their team right now because the Flames would have done that trade. Like yeah. I, I, for, I firmly believe that the Flames would have done I, that. I just you know? don't think he's extending Matthew Kachuk, and, and yeah, he might be gone now. Yeah. Like I, I agree with the idea of it. If Matthew Kachuk was willing to stay, and everything that I read or saw was that he didn't like COVID restrictions in Canada, which is yeah. fair. And, yeah. and wanted and, out. So I, I agree with the premise. I just, I, I maybe disagree with maybe just how realistic that would have been um but and maybe not even Kachuk but I'm just saying a player of that yeah. level like you can get that type of return a, a true star back in return a different fit you can experiment with other players around your Matthews core right your Matthews Marner or uh, Matthews Nylander uh Tavares Riley like you know you keep most of the core intact but you bring in another guy who gives you a different profile that maybe is more transferable to playoff hockey 
Um, and again, I say that as someone who really thinks Mitch Marner is a star and fantastic talent. I just think that, you know, how many times can you run it back with the same group of guys? It, it, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? So you, if you're the Leafs, you know, you only can look at the coach so many times. You can only look at Dubas so many times, right? Everyone else has been the fall guy in this process, but the players, the core players have, have remained. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that, that that can't continue to happen. At some point, and I think we probably passed this point, you need to have a big shakeup in your lineup, not just the periphery guys, not just the yeah. friend. You know, we, it's all every year. It's like, oh, we, we need more vet, more of a veteran presence. Okay, uh, Spezza, Thornton, you know, whatever. We need more physicality. Okay, uh, Achari, uh, O'Reilly. Like, it's always there's always answers, but the answers are never the right answers, which makes you think, well, the answer has to be one of the core guys. We've yeah. tried everything else, everything, every other type of profile, every type of. You know, we're going to be a puck possession team. We're going to be built for the playoffs. We're going to be more physical. We're going to be harder to play against. Like, we've tried everything, you know, and, and this latest news with Reeves and uh, Bertuzzi, like, it's just another attempt to to try to make something that hasn't worked and doesn't have any indication it will work, work. So yeah. I'm a little bit naturally skeptical of that. No, I, I definitely get that. I think for me, it's just more with a tough cap situation, like you, if you're trading a Nylander or Marner, you're either using weaponizing the cap and weaponizing the assets, i.e. like future assets, or you are getting a player comparable to those players. I don't really see any of those players. Like you mentioned Kachuk. I just don't see guys like that that are coming to Toronto and willing to be signed on a one, like on a long-term contract because most of those types of players that are comparable to a Marner or a Nylander are wanting out and, the way the NHL is, unless you're maybe Canadian and from Toronto, you probably don't want to go to Toronto, right? Like even Bertuzzi, yeah. I think he's a GTA guy. So um, my kind of theory is you try to do the Washington Capitals, St. Louis Blues in a way, and you wait it out. And in this case, you wait out until Tavares' contract expires in two years, and then you have that cap space and you give, extend Marner and Matthews and Nylander and kind of go from there and they're younger than most people think. So that that's what I do. Unless you are able to say, hey, we can get, uh, I don't know, throw a name out. I can't even think of one. But Yeah, no, not off the top of my head. But Like maybe a younger Mark Shifley, if that makes any sense. Like I'm trying to think of a really good player that's kind of on the trade block. So, But it, it's tough and um, I don't, I get the reasons to, to break it up, but it's also what are you breaking it up into? Yeah, um, no, uh, that's could, fair. You could argue that, a team like Vegas was so deep and you want to do that. But if you're trading every, anyone but Tavares, are you actually becoming as good as, as Vegas? Because they did have an Eichel and a stone, right? So yeah. um, it, it's tough to, to to go to. So is there anything else you want to talk about for the Leaf side? Or least not, not really. No, I, like, again, I kind of feel like it's, they're just, they're, they're running it back with minor changes. It's kind of what we've be, uh, become accustomed to with the Leafs and I hope it works out, but I'm not holding my breath. No, I, I definitely get that. And now we'll, we'll transition to the sense here in Ottawa and they've had a very interesting off season, mostly with the ownership that finally got settled with Michael and Lauer uh, taking over. Well, he hasn't taken, taken over yet uh, fully, but he will hopefully by uh, September or so become the, the owner mm. Uh, of the Ottawa Senators, and and that was the whole thing with Ryan Reynolds. I was on 
TV and BBC because people thought Rexton was coming here. Sadly, that, <sighs> but uh, it seems as though the owners are going to put a lot of money in and we'll see what happens with the GM and coach. But obviously to I thought he was going to stay. Honestly, it sounded like, you know, I talked to Ian Mendez and, and he seemed mm-hmm. kind of optimistic in, in the spring and, but he's clearly wants out and he wasn't traded by the deadline or uh, by the draft. Sorry. And uh, hasn't been traded so far. And there seems to be minimal interest and they now just let the agent uh, talk to team. So it's just a really interesting thing. And then they signed Corpus Allo, which mm-hmm. I really like, like I remember I watched all those Oilers games and his numbers weren't good, but for the first four games, like it could have been three, one, maybe even a sweep the way the Oilers were playing. If everything had kind of gone right, but he had played so well and then kind of fell off. But um, I like it. I don't like the term uh, five years yeah. or million, but it's not a high AAV. So no, it's um, not. And he's not, a, he's not an old, old tender either. So you have, you know, I, I don't think he's, he's, he's going to regress by the end of that contract. I think it's just a matter of how, what's his ceiling going to be. And will he discover it in those next few years? Um, I really like Corpus Allo. I, I was, he was one of the guys that kind of alluded earlier to the Leafs, maybe being able to, uh, being a Leafs fan, maybe being able to acquire a goaltender last year at the deadline or per, just prior to the deadline. And Corpusella was the guy who I thought made the most sense. Uh, and he would have been a guy who I think raised the ceiling of the team a little bit because I think he's better than Samsonov. Um, he, <laughs> I remember what he did to the Leafs when the Leafs played against yep. Columbus. Uh, and he, he you know, he's fantastic. He was, he was stellar. So that goes to show, you know, he kind of has that pedigree of, being able to kind of take over a series and be that guy. Although it does seem like it doesn't matter who the Leafs play that, you know, whoever the, the opposition's goaltender is, they become that guy if they're not already that guy. But, um, but he certainly had a, a, a great series and that kind of put him on my radar as far as a guy, a, a goaltender who, you know, really had a, a potential to be like a star in this league. And while I wouldn't say he's a star in this league yet, I think he definitely still has that ability. And, uh, when he's on, he's on. He's a, he's a good goaltender. I, I like Corpus Allo a lot. I think that's a great little bit of business for the Sens. No, I agree. I mean, the only thing is the most amount of games he's played is, I think, 39 in a year. So, um, But it sounds as though he was kind of tangled in, in many different injuries. I think he had double hip surgery or something a couple of years ago. And he said he finally was, or the rumors or, or kind of the reports were that he this was his first kind of full season of health since maybe that year uh, he beat your Leafs in 2020 in the bubble. So, um, and he, his numbers on Columbus were amazing considering that mm-hmm. team was basically the worst team in the league, mm-hmm. um, giving up just crazy amount of shots. His, his uh, analytics are really good, basically other than his PK numbers for some reason. Um, he's like just a top 10, 15 goalie in the league. So um, like yeah. five on five saves, high danger chance, save percentage, stuff like that. So I, I really like it. They also signed Brandstrom, mm-hmm. two million. That's maybe a bit much if it's for one year, but hey, and they still have to sign Pinto. And I just think the Debrinket thing is so interesting because it's kind of, and I'm on Sense Twitter, uh, it just has muddied up what the Sense can do. Obviously, they have about, about 10 million in cap space. But the problem with this team last year was goaltending, which they solved in a sense. They have two goalies and maybe Sogard as well. But they had no depth forwards. Like after Norris got injured at the beginning of the year, they just had their third and fourth lines were two fourth lines. And they want to get add guys. And you're losing one in Debrinket that obviously mm-hmm. will be gone. So do they make a hockey trade of some sort? But 
they're probably they're not going to get someone like the Brinket. So, um, and they have the cap space to to get guys, and they've only they haven't really added any depth forward. So, mm-hmm. um, there's still time. There's still a bunch of guys on the market, but uh, it will be interesting to see if this team adds to that in free agency or in the trade in the next week or two, basically as long as the free agency continues. And and also just what happens with the Brinkett. Where is he traded to? Is it for one year? Is it for a long-term contract? Um, it sounds like some teams um, aren't willing to pay what the Brinkett wants uh, in, in a sign and trade. So it'll just be really interesting. I think the team will be better. Um, I just hope they have the depth now. I think their decor is finally settled. I think, Mm-hmm. Chikrin, Sanderson, Shabbat is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I think- like, I don't know how much Adam you've watched Sanderson, but that guy is f- just phenomenal. Like amazing skater, big body. He doesn't use it enough, maybe, but he's like a legit six two, six three. Um o- offensively, maybe can kind of maybe won't be a 70, 80 point guy like an Adam Fox, but maybe mm-hmm. more in that like Jacob Slavin, 30, 40, but yeah, he's it's just, still solid. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just such a good defensive player and he's only 20 and he's scratching the surface. So I think this, yeah. this team can be really good, but they're in probably the best division and we'll see if they, they make it out and, and who makes it out, but it should be a, an exciting team. And hopefully they uh, don't start to 11 and two like they do every year. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see on that. Is the general consensus on, on sense Twitter, uh, a po- like positive about the outlook of the team this year? That's a really good question because it's, I think the ownership took up a lot um, with Sens mm-hmm. fans. So once that settled, I think people are optimistic, but then the brink had happened, him essentially asking out. So I think people, once the dust settles, I'd say people, we can have a better idea of, of if Sens fans uh, like the team going into the off season, but you have Tim Stutzler and Brady Kachuk. Uh, that's that's pretty fun. So yeah. I'm not too too worried. But uh, trajectory has been has been an upward one for Ottawa for for a few years now. So I have actually have a lot of Senators fan friends uh, who are Senators fans more than I'd probably uh, like to admit. But um, <laughs> yeah, they seem they seem pretty optimistic about the direction of the team. The the, the Brinkett stuff there was a little wrench in that because I kind of assumed he'd be a part of this process yeah. going forward, and he fit the timeline with all these other young skilled players. So. So yeah, you know it's a it's a hit, but if they if they can you know get return on that asset, and uh, they already have a ton of great defensemen, um, you know they have some some solid forward options. Losing his goal scoring production is going to hurt uh, in in the top six, but I'm sure that they'll do a decent job of replacing him. So yeah, yeah it, it shouldn't be a bad it shouldn't be a bad team by any means. Yeah, and and many people that aren't kind of in the sense land like josh norris was out essentially the whole year and he had 35 goals the year prior in mm-hmm. 60 games so um the problem with him is he always has shoulder injuries so you have to you know hope that doesn't happen mm-hmm. going forward but they do have someone that actually does slot in if you just look at the team last year that would probably replace his production the problem is is that you were hoping it would be additive and not just the replacement uh, yeah Yeah. so we'll we'll see what happens but i'm i'm optimistic they'll be a better team and just having chikrin and um brandstrom took a huge step at the end so i think i think they'll be a much better defensive team a much better team and they didn't get a lot of goaltending last year really so uh, you get that i think they should be like a 90 to 100 point team give or take in a very competitive yeah. conference so maybe that's less so um but yeah i i want to move to to the jets because i thought 
as a Jets fan myself as well, just family from all from Winnipeg. Um, they had probably the most kind of, I'd say, uh, contentious and mm-hmm. just interesting offseason to, to look at with it looked as though Dubois, Hellebuck, Shifley, Wheeler were all gone. Two of them are gone. Wheeler was bought out. Dubois was traded. Um, and it sounds as though the Hellebuck and Shifley think there's a decent chance they return. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. But what do you kind of make of, of the, the Jets offseason and the Dubois trade and, and what they got back and, and letting go of Wheeler and what's next with the Hellebuck and Shifley? Yeah, the Dubois trade was interesting, and I thought the return was was pretty solid, actually. Um, I will say it, it almost feels too early to assess the Jets because like, I, I I don't know. I like I'm one of those people I like to I like to li- yeah. like line the lines up and kind of go like, okay, well, compared to last year's team, they got better here, they got worse here. It's really premature for that because we don't know who's going to be back, and they're two two of their biggest stars are still you know uh, there's still question marks around them. Uh, like for example, if this whole team returns but they lose to Connor Hellebuck. Like they're worse than last year because he's that important to the team. So, you know, so it could go many different ways, but if he returns and Trifley's back, um, trading Pierre uh, Dubois, I, I don't think is, is the, the end of the world for the jets. And I think the return they brought in with uh, Velarde, I believe yeah, he'll help, absolutely. he'll help uh, contribute. So I, I don't think they're in a horrible spot. Um, I, I don't expect them to be a contender. I think no. they'll be a fringe playoff team. Yeah, I, I think their motto, it, it, I, I think you're completely right. And, and maybe I asked the question maybe the wrong way, because I think whatever happens with Hellebuck and Shifley, if they're in training camp to start the year or if they're traded in the next week, whatever happens with those trades or decisions or if they get extended because maybe Hellebuck it sounded as though he was floating a Vasilevsky money, nine, nine and a half million going in all in his thirties on an eight year contract extension or, or signing. No one wants that for a goalie. People mm-hmm. have looked at price. Um, he's yeah. on, he'll be on the back nine. So I think whatever happens there will determine the team next year. And that's not me saying anything crazy, but I think you're right mm-hmm. to kind of judge their off season after that. But if they were to return with Hellebuck and Shifley on even on a, some sort of extension, even if it's not eight or seven or six years or, or just stay and play it out and trade it at the deadline. I think this team will be weirdly just as good if Mm -hmm. those two players are back because they have a lot of depth. They have way too many defensemen, which is another thing they need to trade. They basically have eight, nine defensemen, including RFAs if they are to, to retain uh, like, some of them so they probably have to move money out but they'll be much deeper i think a team that they can be compared to is maybe seattle where Mm -hmm. they won't really have that star power but they'll just have a lot of just good kind of middle six forwards everywhere in the lineup and just Mm -hmm. a lot of four or five defensemen everywhere so i think seattle might be a good comp for them and they got who played well Mm -hmm. when he was healthy but again he's always hurt so um, they do have a goalie back there if Hellebuck is traded that they have someone that can be the starter if healthy. So we'll yeah. see. And uh, yeah, um, anything else you want to touch on the Jets before we? Not not really for the Jets. No, I think like I said, it, I think it's kind of going to be a little early for them to make like an accurate prediction or assessment on the offseason. I think they've done all right considering the situation they've been put in. 
Um, and it certainly looks less dire than it did a week ago or two weeks ago. So I I think they I think they'll be fine, and I think there's no panic button smashing yet in Winnipeg. But that could very quickly change. And, and yeah. like you know, if the if the news isn't so positive on the Shifley and Hellebuck fronts, um, this could be. I think this team could struggle a lot next year because I, I do believe even with Brassois and like I I mean the the gap in my mind between Hellebuck and Brassois is still pretty large, um, mm-hmm. and and replacing Shifley you know will be will be difficult no matter what what they do to try to compensate uh, his leadership and, and obviously his skill as well. Um, it will be very difficult. 40 goals last year. As well. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it, it's that's yeah. Like I, I don't, you know, I feel like, I feel like we're almost burying the lead a little bit, but like if those guys are not back, this team will struggle. And if they're back, then they should be pretty decent. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And it'll be really interesting to see. I think, I think Jets fans will enjoy the team because more guys will play defense all the guys I follow, Velarde, Kapari, the three guys that got in the the uh, LA deal are all trade, yeah. Yeah, if you look at if you look at their defensive analytics, they're all good. Dubois is meh, and mm-hmm. Shifley is just atrocious. So, um, it I think they'll just be a very different team. Maybe kind of the Islanders of the of the yeah, West. I see maybe. that. I wasn't the biggest Dubois fan ever as a player. Uh, I think honestly, okay. honestly. Like, I, yeah, I think I this is a great haul considering what he is. I think they got a lot he's, back. He's the type of player you see maybe in soccer a little bit more or in other sports where they're they either show up or they don't. Mm-hmm. And it's this huge chasm between their performance. And you watch him game one of the first round against uh the eventual champions in the Vegas Golden Knights. You think that guy is yeah, um, worth, Matthew worth Kachuk, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like you you see him I mean different player but just a force so fast strong mean and then you don't see him the rest the next four games really mm-hmm. and so with that that's really who he's been right and and for the Jets the last two years first 50 60 games he's close to a point a game and then he drops off mm-hmm. right so um although he's never been in a place that uh you know, he's wanted to be in. And I love on Twitter where the, when he signed his contract, all I saw was Pierre-Luc Dubois already asked out um, of the, <laughs> the LA Kings yeah. uh, within a couple of days. I mean, I don't think that's the case, but that is something to see is, does he finally, is he that, finally happy yeah. and motivated and is the potential that he could be, which is I think more in the lines of a point per game, 30 goal guy who drives a lot of play and is in, in the playoffs is mean. And, and, and um, yeah, but I, I don't think he's actually as good as maybe some people think, and he's mm-hmm. not as bad as others uh, think as well. So yeah, I, I want to go quickly to the Habs because they were linked to Dubois and n- knowing the Habs fans in my life, they were very mixed about him not going mm-hmm. to um, and to, to, to Montreal, but then also I think a lot of Habs fans wanted Mitch Cobb at five. We saw the Carey Price debacle at the podium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now Reinbacker has been sadly given a lot of grief on social media. Yeah, um, fans. So I I want to first ask before we go into the team, what do you make of the Reinbacker or I think it's Reinbacker yep. situation and just us being Twitter fiends and being addicted? What what do you kind of make of all the negative? The yeah. uh, I, I don't know just hate that he's got online and i've seen this so many times in sports where like it's so funny how as fans we feel like we know who's going to end up being the best player in the draft and 
it always reminds me of that uh that you know the tingus pingus uh video <laughs> no i don't think so no oh we're, we're the, when the knicks drafted uh christos porzingis yeah and there was like a guy with a thick new york accent who the heck is this tingus pingus whatever anyways yeah, yeah he was all pissed off but the fourth pick and they passed on some, you know, more more recognizable American talent at the time, who people, player fans would have known, and um, from the March Madness tournament for Justice a guy who Winslow. nobody knew. I think from, Justice Winslow just to it go might have been Winslow, side, yeah. Like was I don't remember. offered like four first round picks from the Celtics to the Heat, and the Heat <laughs> said no. And the guy's not. I don't think he's in the league, or he's like very French. So, anyways, yeah, that's our NBA yeah. aside for for later. But yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, just it just kind of reminds me of that, where like you know the fans get so upset and so riled up, and then you know Porzingis ends up being a, an all star and, and a very good player, and you know probably the best Nick we've seen in the last while. Um, it just it's the initial reaction is always so negative, and I even think about when when the Raptors drafted Scotty Barnes, and the, the I saw the videos of all the watch parties, and everyone's got their hands on their heads, and they're you know, they're beside themselves. And then, you know, a year later, everyone's like, oh, I wouldn't trade him for Jalen Suggs. So I, and I wouldn't trade him I for Kevin Durant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And apparently they wouldn't either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So like, you know, I kind of feel for the Rhinebacker kid because I, I, I don't, I, I can't say I've seen enough of his game to assess him as a player. I just yeah. think he's kind of already in a losing spot where people are expecting him to fail. Like and they're expecting him to, to not be the right guy. And he might very well be the right guy. Um, it was a reach, though, in terms of projections. I don't know how much stock you put in projections because at, at the end of the day, that's somebody, that's one person's big board. Obviously, they they try to amalgamate, you know, different uh, intel that they've gained from other from analysts and pundits. But at the end of the day, one person is putting that together, it, you know. So it's there's going to be a lot of variance between what actually happens on draft night, and this goes for any league, and what happens in you know the in the in the final mock drafts that are released. So. I I think it was an interesting choice, but I'm going to wait till I watch the kid play before I make an assessment about if he's a good player or not. And I'm going to give him a little bit of time. Uh, As for the social media response, I mean, it's typical. This is the world we live in. I'm not trying to excuse or justify it, but this is just what social media has become. Uh, it It can be very toxic. And I think unfairly so a lot of the time, especially for a kid who's just had the best moment yeah. of his life. He's just mm-hmm. achieved his, his biggest dream. On even drafted part, higher than he thought he would. Sorry, go on. <laughs> and, on par, and, and to go off that is even with the Carey Price thing, and he, yeah. he seemed to be very um, good about taking that on the chin and apologizing yeah. and Carey Price. But no, I, I what I find interesting, and obviously I completely agree with everything you said about social media, and I, I think it's sad. I think also the added p- bonus of this is being link to to have's twitter and in, in some ways for, through friends and, and the fan base is just that they've reached on guys for need before over talent the big one is cockney over yeah. brady kachuk and yeah. i think and in other times as well and I, I think for a lot of Habs fans it felt that way and kent hughes basically said that we picked someone we picked him because he was a right shot defenseman um yeah he didn't say that directly but he talked about the shot the the handedness of the player and yeah. the defense we needed a defenseman. So I think that really didn't help the case. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean you go online and give death threats or whatever. Yeah. But I think yeah, no, that, just, just so it. we're clear and yeah. you're listening to this, it's, that's yeah. not, that's, so it's, not it's excusing that at all. They also yeah. traded. I, I, I did not understand the Alex Newhook for, yeah. for a first and uh, like it was the 31st and lot, the 37th yeah. pick. Like, if it was one of those, maybe I understand, but for both, 
That's no, I, yeah. Lot. They traded Edmondson to the Capitals, so they had a they've had a really interesting uh, draft night, um, and 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 trades kind of since then haven't really done anything in free agency. Pretty capped out, but they're mm-hmm. they're an interesting team to watch. I think um, I've had Arpin Basu, Andrew Berkshire, um, just talk about the Habs and uh, Kenzie Lalonde, who's great. Um, Ottawa uh, or Stitzville uh, resident, uh, um, but they they've all talked about how San Luis is so good with young players, and I think that's what they bet on with Newhook. They did that with Doc, maybe with Ryan Backer, just guys like that. So it'll be interesting to see what they're like next year. And without Dubois, I don't think they're a playoff team. But do I think they're good? they'll be the fifth worst team in the league? Probably not. I think they'll probably be that close to 500 but maybe just slightly below um plucky team and if they get decent goaltending they'll they'll be interesting they're just their decor isn't great and they don't have yeah. a lot of uh, high-end players and depth like a lot of other teams in the nhl i actually think they're going to be pretty bad next year i'm I like okay. that that's my and that's not like people might listen to this they always at least fan i really genuinely like if i thought they'd be good i'd say it i, I don't think they'll be very good next year yeah, um, and I, also, and also, also, I want to clarify. I'm a Leafs fan, but I also hate the Leafs. Like, I have a very, <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with them. So I don't, I don't even defend the Leafs in public. I trash on the Leafs probably more than most people. You're, you're like, you're like Dangle, who just hates. I hate them. I hate the Leafs. Yeah, but like, yeah. I love the Leafs, but I also hate the Leafs. So, yeah. like, part of me when they lose is like, it feels like, yeah, good for you. You guys suck. Figure it out. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I don't even feel sorry for them. I, I just immediately hate them. Yeah, um, no, so- I, I think maybe for me and, and I watch a lot of Habs and um, just because we actually get their their games here in yeah. Ottawa, um, yeah. thankfully, like on, on local. But um, I'm really high on um, on Cole Caulfield and, mm-hmm. and Nick Suzuki. And so I think if you're high on those guys, then you're high on the team because I think Caulfield back healthy helps. 40 goals. Lot, like I think he's lot. in that range. Yeah. Like he's a 35 to yeah 45 like maybe not 45 next year but he's in that range of a legitimate goal scorer and Suzuki sure he puts up maybe 0.8 points a game but he played with nobody like he so you have to take that with a grain of salt so I'm I'm actually gonna be playing with nobody also I mean when Caulfield's there it's Caulfield Caulfield. that's about it though right like they they, I still think that they lack a lot of depth uh in their even their top six is not that good I think they have one forward line yeah. um the, I like the back doc, end doc looked okay he yeah looked- doc's okay doc's okay and i think on the back end they, they have <laughs> nobody <laughs> and yeah. then you and then and then in goal I, i'm not i mean i'm, I'm not i'm not Montem- high in their goaltending situation there. And, and people will tell me montembeau is actually look good Mont- I, i'm not a montembeau guy i don't think he's that good so so like i just don't buy into any of it really i just i just think they're yeah. the, i think they're pedestrian at best i think the best case scenario for the habs is they're like the 16th or 17th best team in the league. Like, I really don't see them. I don't see no, any I don't, chance of making the playoffs. I don't see them in a playoff contention, yeah. but I I see them being in that 70 to 77 point mark where they're kind of, they're not terrible. They're not bottoming out, but they're not like last year, but they're not in that realm of where four points, not like the Sens were last year where they were really out of it, but they were close enough. I don't think they're ever going to get in that range where, Habs fans are looking at the standings in March yeah, and saying yeah. there's a 5% chance we make the playoffs or or within six points or something along no. those lines. I, if, I think they'll be a bit farther. If, one of their, if Suzuki or Caulfield gets an injury early in the year, their season could be over by February. Like, I I, I really don't see that. Yeah, I think I'm just higher on them because I actually do like Montembeau because if I see a goalie 
my my it's not a rule that I've I've really thought of, but I when I look at goaltending, kind of like Corpusalo, if you have mm-hmm. like above a 905, 910 and your team's bottom five in the league, I'm like, ah, you're you're probably actually more like a 915. <laughs> so that that's kind of how I see it. And, and with Montebo, yeah. I think he was like a 903. I'd have to double check, but he um on a really bad team. Like that half team was terrible last year. Yeah. And outperformed, I think, a little bit. Um, their talent even in coming fifth last so we'll we'll see um i, I want to go quickly to the flames yeah. um i had solemn Valjean uh, obviously covering the flames i've had eric francis um and, and julian mckenzie but they just have had so much from <laughs> all more than any team in in the league and, and just maybe talk about a team that they traded to foley they lost kachuk and goudreau last year um, they're trying to keep Lindholm, but it sounds like he wants out and they're offering him like crazy money, like mm-hmm. $72 million for eight years, like $9 million AAV. Just talk about that team and, and maybe the direction they're headed, if you can. I can speak to it from a, a different perspective than people probably hear, but I, I my, my my day job is a promo producer. So <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I hated working Flames games early in the season because – they had no, none of their stars were, were the same as they were last season, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the season, they were all fresh races. And um, yeah, so it was just, I was incredibly frustrating to work the Flames for that reason. Um, I think losing that continuity and losing your, obviously some of your best players, almost all of their best players in one off season is, is a tough, is a tough pill to swallow. And while it looked like at times that they'd be able to recover from it, I think in the end, as the season progressed, it was clear that they were just they didn't they were lacking talent. They just were not talented enough to be a real contender. Um, and I see them in a very similar situation this year. I think they're kind of stuck in purgatory. I think they opted for you know when 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 they were losing Kachuk, they opted for um, the more competitive in the short term fix, bringing yeah. in guys that were going to help to sort of retool is the word they always use as opposed to a full-on rebuild. I think just a year out of that, they'll probably be looking back and thinking that might've been a mistake because they could have got a lot back uh, in terms of young assets and talent and just really set themselves up for the future. Whereas now I feel like the flames are kind of the definition of purgatory. And I like the flames. I like when the flames are good. I think they got a great crowd there in Calgary. I love when they make deep playoff runs, but yeah, I just, I, I just don't think that this core is talented enough. I just think that they're 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 short. Um, some of those stars that you need that every team who's made a run in the past X amount of years has. Uh, I, I think the top end is what lets this team down. And, and there's guys on the team I really like. Um, even guys who didn't have good seasons who I like. Like I'm still a big Jacob Markstrom guy, uh, despite you know he didn't have a great season. Yeah, I, I would expect him to experience some positive regression. Because uh, I think he's better than what he showed last year. But even if he does, I still think they're lacking the top end talent to really to do anything serious. Yeah, I think it sounds from everyone I've had on that that covers the Flames that ownership is what always stops them from being a rebuilding team. So in, in that case, I, I don't necessarily blame a Brad Tree Living who's obviously now in Toronto or mm-hmm. or uh, and and it sounds as though um, I'm probably going to have Katie Strang on. In the next little while but just that uh daryl sutter really screwed up that team um mm-hmm. and and i don't think they got along i think it was very toxic the whole environment so i get why guys are, are wanting out and um and obviously you lose 
good good draw and and Kachuk and yeah like how do you really replace that that's um, what I, that's what i mean and i think even signed, trying to yeah. like yeah you know you got Kadri back and you got oh Huberto back and you got Uyghur and like they, they were they were they got players back um but the reality is it was a real big risk and i think they they've you know we we've seen the risk didn't pay off early in the season it looked like it might have paid off it's like oh the flames are picking up right where they left off like they look just as good as last year and and again, as the season went on, it just became apparent that they weren't that team, um, and that they had just get they basically sold you know they sold low. I would say they sold low on their best players, yeah. and I know they obviously had to, uh, you know, Kachuk was forcing his way out, so it's not like they had much leverage. But I do think instead of returning players in their prime, they could have opted to return even younger players, like not necessarily draft picks, but younger players that are a little bit maybe further away from the end product, but have the upside that you can sort of build towards something. And then also accumulate some draft picks, um, some high draft picks by not being maybe the best team, as opposed to being middle of the pack and then picking middle of the draft. And then just, I think it's the worst place to be in professional sports. And I always kind of say it and teams yeah. who don't have a clear direction. I, I just, I, I feel frustrated for them and for their fans. And I feel like that's the flames right now is they're just kind of like, they're just bang average. And there's not really any, they're an older team. Like they're not a young team. Um, and they're average. And, and so they've topped out in my mind. No, and, and for sure. I mean, uh, they had terrible goaltending. I think mm-hmm. they'll regress. Markstrom's very hot, cold, hot, cold kind of goalie. I think everything you said was right. And I I think change, or, change is definitely coming. Um, we'll see exactly who is out and for what. And is it futures? Is it not? I think that the Foley trade is probably a good indicator where they get a a future asset, but not a crazy one and a player that can play now. And in Sharon Govich, who's now signed until he's a UFA. So they'll have mm-hmm. another potential UFA in two years. So it'll be interesting from one fan base that probably hates, or maybe not doesn't, doesn't hate their ownership, but uh, finds them their, their team very frustrating to one that just, I think has been in purgatory, I think is a great word for the Vancouver Canucks who have just been have made the playoffs once essentially in 10 years, which is a hard feat, especially yeah. when you spend over to the cap every single time um, they bought out OEL uh, for four, like he had four years left on his contract about seven. I, I forget how, exactly how much, but in the $7 million range, um, they got 6 million space this year. They've, they spent it on Ian Cole for a year. Um, at three million, Carson Soucy, uh, who's was really good in Seattle for three years, three point two five. They didn't qualify Ethan Bear, who was really good for them um, in their top yeah. six, uh, probably their their best right shot defenseman before Corona came. So they they actually look kind of okay. I, I don't know what this means long term, how they're going to be competitive, but that top six scores with Miller and mm-hmm. Patterson's amazing. Quinn Hughes is phenomenal. But it will just be another year where I think they'll be better and maybe make the playoffs. But where is this team going? I think that's the question that all Canucks fans, my good friend Kieran, always is just frustrated and now apoplectic at this team. So uh, (laughs) we'll see what happens. But I think that's the Canucks kind of just did what they always do and went for now compared to the long term. And we'll see what happens. Mm. And uh, to the Oilers, uh, they are completely cap crunched. They signed Connor Brown to a, one of those really cool contracts where it's seven hundred and seventy-five thousand <laughs> AAV, 
And I think I like it goes it. to 3.25 million in bonuses, which would be okay. next year. Um, nice. in, in I like it. I like those. I, I have no problem with those type of deals. No, I, I love it, especially um, we don't know if the cap will for sure go up because this is Gary Bettman's uh, NHL, mm-hmm. but uh, it should go up at least a little bit more than it has been. So it's a good bet. And uh, um, I think Connor Brown's just perfect. He's like Zach Hyman light for that team. I think he'll just mm-hmm. be phenomenal and they traded yamamoto and costin so cap you know cleared some cap they're rumored to carlson but i just don't know how that ma- makes any sense but uh this team's good and you have mcdavid and dry you can't be bad now it's it's yeah they're just too uh they're too much of a, a, a amazing dynamo power uh together so we'll we'll see how, the, yeah. how they do but uh, i i can't see this team not making the playoffs um is there anything you wanted to touch on on those two teams before we uh, go to the Raptors no you kind of hit everything on the head like you know I I still I still have a little bit um I still have questions about the Oilers ability to win a Stanley Cup I still think they're a few they're a few pieces away I don't think they've gotten any closer this offseason but when you have dry settle and you have McDavid you're always going to be at least a Suedo contender we've seen them make some you know quasi deep runs um, and I feel like they're, you know, they always have a run in them with that duo. Yeah. So if they can never figure out how to just complete that team a little bit more, round it out, I don't even think they need to have the most like structured, perfect four lines deep team. They never will, just with the amount of money you're paying those two guys. But if they can even just make it some something that resembles a hockey team, like they, there's no reason why they can't. And they were deeper this way. year. Like they, I remember yeah. watching them. Like they would get guys like. The problem was is that Clem Costin and Yamamoto s- scored some of their most important goals in the playoffs, yeah. but they did have more depth than it ever felt they had. Um, now, goaltending though, right? Goaltending yeah. was a big question mark, and that's still something that hasn't been resolved. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it feels like they're so close every year, but they're also not getting any closer every year. So, so that's my issue with the Oilers. Um, but again, that's the type of team that could, it could change in in one night. They can just decide one night to like, no, we're going for it, and then they'll legitimately be contenders. Um, I don't have them in that tier quite yet. I I always feel like they're a move away, and if if the right move happens, but if they were to, like if the Oilers made a move and acquired Corpusalo instead of the Senators, and we just changed the, the 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 conversation, I feel like that would have been an incredible move that was a needle mover for them. Um, I I don't know if they've made a needle moving tight move in a while like yeah. i don't think hyman coming into that team was a needle mover i think i think that he well he's a good player i don't think he was a needle mover at, uh, at the time of that acquisition so and i just feel like a lot of the acquisitions that they made fall into that category right they brought in duncan keith it's like okay yeah but maybe six years ago but i i don't think that's the needle mover you know like i don't know if they've made that splash where it's like we're really gonna push our chips in the middle because we have I think, Connor I think McDavid in his Ekholm. prime. I, I think they Ekholm did. Ekholm would have been the closest thing. Ekholm would have, but Ekholm, and Ekholm's I, I think, a good. He's a good defenseman. He was a good yeah. defenseman. Like even that, I don't know if it was, is big enough. You know? No, well, I, I think I, it, in, in I think history tells us wasn't big enough because they you know they was they wasn't able to get him over the edge. But or maybe that was the right move. But then they also needed to bring in a goaltender. Um, I don't, I don't have the answer, but I, I feel like they're still a piece or two away. I mean, Campbell is just the most hot and cold yeah. goalie you'll probably ever see. Mm-hmm. That signing was a dud. Now, maybe Campbell will be great for forty for 32 games, and mm-hmm. 
get cold. I think Stuart Skinner, he was amazing down the stretch. He was, I think he was a Calder finalist. I'm not sure, but he was one of the better, like he was a good goalie. He made the all-star yeah. game, um, but he wasn't that good in the playoffs. No, but I think it matters. <laughs> but I think the yeah. biggest thing with this team is their decor. Their decor is just not good. Darnell Nurse yeah. was amazing for that one year, got paid and yeah. has not been close to that type of player. He's just way too overpaid. Ekholm really two five million. I think Ekholm is good. He's yeah. better. Him and Bouchard are good together. But I think they need maybe two. They need another top pairing defenseman. I think in in that yeah. lineup. And I think that's for me. If let's say you kept similar kind of top nine in 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 Edmonton in terms of production and and just what they bring to the to the team and just improve that D decor again i think it's the defense because they just mcdavid and dry aren't good defensive players and mm-hmm. i think against vegas they were pretty neutral offensively on five on five right so if that nuclear power play doesn't get chances because the nhl is the nhl and no one calls penalties after game three of the playoffs and in the in each round you have to score five on five. And if you're not yeah. keeping the puck out of your net, even with a McDavid and dry saddle. So I think for me, the, the goaltending is a, like definitely a problem, but I'm more worried of what kind of chances you're giving up against. And mm. I think they need guys like Connor Brown, great defensive forwards. Mm. And also maybe another, at least one more top pairing defenseman, um, kind of like they were linked to Chikrin forever. Like that kind of move. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah basically do but that's what i mean again. that's the type yeah. of move i mean it needs to be somebody like a serious player they need they need to bring in a player who's going to be their third best player yeah like that level of player right if yeah. he's anything less than the third best player i don't think it's enough of a needle mover for what they need it needs Carl- to be a, like a, a star type carlson would be hilarious but i just don't think yeah. that's what they need and the cap gymnastics are, are too much but why don't we take a quick break and then we'll we'll get into the raptors and and talk some canadian soccer Adam All right. And, uh, we'll be uh, back in the uh, Well, so we're going to go a little bit to the Raptors. And uh, I think me and you are more aligned on this than than other things in terms of just uh, the Raptors. And um, obviously, they the big thing is they lost uh, Fred Van Vliet to the Houston Rockets. And they re-signed everyone else or Gary Tread picked up his option. But... They basically have the same team minus their point guard that no lineups worked without him. Uh, and, and they have no backup point guard because Malachi Flynn hasn't been good in the NBA so far. Yeah. Just what what do you make of the Raptors going all in at the deadline, getting Pirtle, trading a first round pick? It was protected top six, but yeah. And then losing Fred when they had offers on, on the table to, to trade him and What's next? There's Michael Grange just spewing out stuff about yeah. Siakam, maybe to Atlanta. Yeah. Just what what do you make of it all? And and how much confidence do you have in Bobby and Masai these days? Because mine has really waned a lot, really, the past year, year and a half. Yeah. Oh, there's a, there's a lot of questions in there, and I'm going to get to each of, each and every one of them. Um, for starters, what do I make of the decision to go in at the deadline as opposed to, to try to add draft picks, uh, which was the obvious choice? This, this to pawn off either one of OG or maybe Pascal or certainly Fred felt like the odd man out just when you look at ages and sort of timelines. So when they decided to add at the deadline, I, I along with probably a majority of Raptors fans was very confused. Um, 
and not because I don't like Pirtle or think he's very, very good. No, and, good. And, and the, the, you know, the advanced stats tell us that he's, he's actually one of the more important starters on the team, even more so than some of the guys who uh, continue to be paid more than he does. So I, I actually agreed with the bringing in Pirtle. I just think it didn't make sense really when you look at the timeline of the team, I think it made sense if they were managed, if they managed to make that like a lottery protected first, I would have felt a lot more comfortable with that. Um, but having it just be top six really doesn't give you the opportunity to have a bad season this season, because even if you're bad, there's a very good chance that that pick is going to go to the Spurs. You can't control what happens with the, with the bingo balls either. So even if you're, you could be the the, sec- the third worst team in the league and drop to the seventh pick and you know, there goes the, <laughs> you, you're getting nothing for that horrible season. So the, the risk of it, I just didn't agree with. And I think obviously, you know, having seen the team lose in the play in, we can sort of all agree at this point that it wasn't worth it. And now you lose Fred Van Vliet because you were already going to be strapped trying to get everyone re-signed. And all it took was one team, which in this case happened to be Houston, to have a really dumb amount of money and, um, you know, kind I of not like, care. I, I actually like yeah. the move by Houston. I think it was really, in a weird way, it was really smart. I think I saw that the third year was team option. Yeah. Which yeah, made it really option. interesting just in terms of, what uh, the Rockets did and really for Van Vliet really only being guaranteed 85 million when the Raptors probably guaranteed him about probably 110, 120, but he yeah, make it up in uh, after two years. So, and he most likely will, he most likely will make it up. Um, even if he's not, I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting him to make $43.4 million in the third year of that deal. If he does, no. He is going to have to become a drastically better basketball player than he's been for his entire career, which I, I don't think is fair on him to project, um, or to project those sort of expectations on him rather. Yeah. So I, I I thought it was, I thought it made sense from Houston for the perspective that they had a very young team and they have a lot of money and they have nothing to do with the money and they like might as well. They were very comfortable giving him two years and I think that the swing was the third year, but then we found out afterwards it was a team option, so that didn't really matter all that much. For Toronto's perspective, um, I'm glad they didn't try to match it. I mean, I guess if there's like a, a silver lining in this, is is they could have they could have felt like, well, we can't lose our guys for nothing, and to sort of cover up the mistake of the deadline, they could have doubled down and made a second mistake and kept Van Vliet at um at a at a, at a contract that you're just not going to get any value. Uh, you, you can't you can't afford to pay a 29 year old who's a, who last season was a sub 40 percent field goal. Sure shooter and sub 35 percent three-point shooter and in my opinion took a step back defensively as well and i'm sure a lot of that maybe factors uh injuries or factors in that in that equation but i I just don't i don't think there's any thing that indicates that he's even a 30 million dollar player let alone a 43 million dollar player so at some point the raptors had to be real about the ambition of the team going forward and sort of cut their losses and acknowledge that they made a mistake at the deadline and they should have probably pawned off at least one of their assets to make sure they could comfortably fit everybody in the cap and that they didn't have to allow anybody to get to unrestricted free agency. But here we are. Um, new head coach, the uh, new head coach, Darko Ryakovic, I really am a fan of. And essentially the same court, as you mentioned, minus the starting point guard, and they did not sign a point guard other than Dennis Schroeder. So kind of a uh, career yeah. since Atlanta, probably I would say like a career bench guy. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy who's, who's been an all okay player in the NBA, not by any means a, a bum. He's a good player, but he's probably a good player as a backup. I don't know 
how you, how you feel about him coming into the season potentially as your starting point guard or as your best true point guard because even if they don't start him he's still at the end of the day is the is the best point guard on the roster like scotty burns is not a point guard as much as we've sort of experimented with it um I, so I, I, to answer your question i don't feel great about it like i think it's 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 a it's kind of a cluster you know what i mean uh, like, no I, I i'm weirdly yeah i think i'm very torn because they've been this management group really since 20 since their their run to the 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 second round in the bubble have really made a lot of peculiar decisions it, other than Scotty Barnes in the draft i don't know what they've really hit on in terms of signing extensions in terms of reagents they really haven't had any hits other than Barnes which is a big yeah. hit like he, OG i would say OG's contract extension was very uh very re- yeah but it had an opt out after like the player option after three years, like they, there was they, the Raptors love throwing player options. They, do. they just, yeah. and I mean, I get it because Toronto isn't always the most, uh, most uh, highly sought out place in the NBA, but mm-hmm. um, overall, I, 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 I'm my, as my fandom, which I feel has been losing, my, <laughs> I've been losing since I've been doing a podcast, but I, I was really happy. Honestly, I was really excited because I thought, they're not running the back. Thank God. Yeah. Like just this doesn't make sense. Um, and like if Fred Van Vliet was signing a $15 million contract and Jakob Pertle was signing a four year, $40 million contract. Yeah. I'd be happy. I'd, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. run it back, but in the cap world with a second apron, which people might not know, mm-hmm. but is essentially a luxury tax yeah. and almost a hard cap of some sort. You lose draft picks and stuff, not this year specifically, but going into next in the NBA because they've signed a new CBA. So it just, I just think this might be a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. I think I've been begging for Scotty Barnes to run more pick and rolls. Now he might not be as good as Fred Van Vliet is. I don't think mm-hmm. so. He had a great, uh, pick and roll with um, game with uh, Jakob Pertl, but I think Scotty Barnes to be that superstar, that multiple time NBA uh, All Star, uh, NBA All Star, and and All NBA type player, he has to be a facilitator and running pick and roll, mm-hmm. and I think this opens that up. Uh, I don't know how they score offense in the half court, but Grady Dick will be great. Um, and also just Grady Dick and Scotty Barnes is all time vibes. So let's, <laughs> let's let, yeah. let's let it roll. So I, I think it's not good for the team being better next year. I, mean, I don't think no. anyone will say Schroeder on a mid-level is better than, uh, Fred Van Vliet, but I think with, I think overall, this might make them finally make decisions that they'd never wanted to do in terms of trading yeah. a Siakam or an OG, which they're great players, but I think it's time to to go to the youth movement. I'd trade Siakam more than OG if you think OG wants to stay, but the opposite seems to be the case where more people for two, three years have been saying OG has wanted out while Siakam essentially says, if you give me Supermax, I'm staying. So yeah, yeah. although every NBA player does that just to then ask to be traded a year after. So that's true. Um, so I just, I think it's really interesting um if it's the same roster going into the season next year i think you're right they're a playing team they're not a playoff team yeah. um if they trade asset if they trade an og or siakam i think 
this team could be fun, like a fun, plucky 31 win team. Um, and I think that'd be <laughs> yeah. kind of fun and, and in a weird way, more exciting, but we'll, we'll see, yeah. but anything else like else that I've said that you kind of want to go off. Yeah. I liked, I think the, the quiet win in this was, um, was Gary Trent accepting his player option, uh, and sort of indicating that he wants to, he intends on signing an extension. Um, because I still think when you just factor in age and production, he's actually, he's actually been a very, very valuable player for the last yeah. few seasons for the Raptors. <laughs> um, I, I, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fix the overwhelming, you know, hole that they're going to have at the point guard position. And and as much as I agree with what you're saying about Scotty Barnes needing to to have the ball in his hands more, I fully agree with that. I think you need to get it in his hands in different spots. Like mm-hmm. I want to see him be a playmaker in the way that Golden State uses Draymond Green as a playmaker. Uh, maybe at times in the way that Denver uses Jokic as a playmaker. Not so much in your traditional pick and roll. Yeah. Uh, you know point of attack initiator like i don't really I think... see that being his strength but I, I do think his playmaking has always been at a high level it's always been upper echelon even in the nba um it, so getting him the ball more is a good thing and i think taking the like schroeder can play in the around the periphery he doesn't need the ball in his hands all that much yeah he, you know he can go off on little runs and get in games when you need him to but he doesn't need to be a guy like he's not going to be a guy that's shot trucking and demanding the ball and taking a whole bunch of opportunities out of the hands of the other players on the team. Yeah. Not, not in a way. Yeah. And Van Vliet will, because Van Vliet has that sort of pedigree of he's been an all-star and he's, you know, he's, he has more pedigree as a player than Dennis Schroeder. So on, on one hand, I think maybe you allow some of the other guys to flourish a little bit more, but obviously, I mean, I think anybody trying to make a case that this team is going to be better than last year with essentially the exact same team, and you're replacing Van Bleet with Schroeder, and you're adding a rookie who I really like, but is a rookie, so we have to temper expectations on. Um, I think that I think that that would be a that'd be a mistake to to think that. I think that'd be a misjudgment. The only saving grace for the team is that Darko Ryakovich is going to implement some sort of next level European movement offense where everyone's cutting off the ball and no more Nick Nurse ISO stagnation, which was definitely an issue uh, over the past few years. Like I I don't think Nick Nurse. Um, I don't think like point blank. I don't think Nick Nurse is a good offensive coach. I think he's, really? he's I think he's a very tricky coach. Um, I think he can set you up defensively at times to succeed. I think he's a bit of a mad scientist in the way that he tries things that don't always work. I don't think he ever was able to maximize the weapons that the Raptors had offensively. Um, I yeah. think when that when the Raptors won a championship, they happened to have the best team on paper in the league other than maybe just the Warriors and the Warriors had injury issues. So that's why they won in my, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think he had, you know, he had some good assistance over the years that, that helped along the way. But as, as some of that talent left in the ensuing years, I think you got to really see the, the, the deficiencies of Nick Nurse as a coach on the offensive end, because it was really a lot of that stagnation. I, like there was a lot of, you know, they're, they're, they're dribbling the air out of the ball. It's my turn, your turn offense. And, and that doesn't work at this level, especially when you're lacking true superstars you can get away with it when you have a kevin durant you can get away with it when you have um you know even you know Kawhi and paul george or whatever whoever whatever tandem you like in the nba that's uber talented maybe you can get away with it but when your best players are siakam and van vliet and you you can't get away with that you need to you need to really have a diligent offensive approach and you need to have offensive principles and you need to move the ball and you need to you know and i just don't think they did a lot of that and and the best offense in the league last year was was Denver's with the Okich and Murray. And they had good pieces around those guys. I don't know if on paper you would say going into the season, Jokic and Murray was the best duo in the NBA. I think you would have probably had 
four or five other duos above them, but they maximize that duo, you know? Yeah, I would say on the Jokic point quickly, just he is by far the best offensive player in the league. I think that's as much as you might love Steph or Katie, whoever, um, I think he's more of a walking offense. And and Jamal Murray in the playoffs was outstanding, you you know, 25 or I don't know if that's exactly stat line, but like 25, six and six or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and he, it feels right. I, yeah. And he, he, he averaged that was what it over was, 10 assists in the finals or he, I think he had at least over 10 assists in the first four games. I don't know if he didn't last, but he was phenomenal. But to, to go to the Raptors, I, I agree with you to an extent. I do think they had no shooting for the NBA in today's age. And that made it harder for you to have that kind of pass, pass, cut, you know, off ball actions because the defense is just going to collapse because you don't have shooters other than really Gary Trent and Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi. But those yeah. guys are good shooters. I'd say Van Vliet is a great shooter when he has it right. He didn't have it right last year. Yeah. Um. So I, I agree f- with it for the most part, but I do think like the reason why they tried to go for a lot of turnovers and offensive rebounds was a byproduct of the team as well. I don't think that was 100%. I'm sure Nick Nurse, if he got, you know, Golden State went to run the same kind of actions. Um, But I I agree with that. I I, I do think it will be really interesting to see what they do with a new coach. Um, Mm. And just, I, it will be a very different team this year. Grady Dick is a very not Raptors pick um, and yeah. a very much a win now pick in a way. Cause I think he's going to be an NBA pro for 13 years. Like I'm not saying he's JJ Redick, but that type of player that mm. is just such a good shooter, smart off the ball can handle enough or kind of use um, kind of go attack closeouts better than a lot of other guys um, that are just maybe stationary. Like, I think he's just going to be a really good offensive player. The defense yeah. We will see, but yeah, um, I think the defense, I think I'll say a couple of things real quickly on the defense. I think the defense definitely is um, he's, he's been, I heard things like he's going to be targeted on the defensive end. I don't know. I, if you watch the latter half of what he did at, at Kansas, he looked the part, like he looked like he could defend at, at least at a college level. He could defend how that translates. I don't know. At the beginning of the year, Kansas, even the Kansas people would tell you this, um, the fans there, Jayhawks fans, he, he struggled defensively. But when he figured it out, he figured it out. And at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy who's 6'8 and has pretty yeah, good athleticism. I was, was going to say. He should be okay. He should, he's not going to be, you know, we're not talking about Trey Young out here. We're not talking no, about a guy no. that no matter how hard he tries, he doesn't have the frame for it. This is a guy who has the he has the physicality. He has the frame for it. Like, he has the size. And he's a rebounder. Um, like, I, I've, I've yeah. seen a little bit. Like, he had good rebounding stats for yeah. kind of a small forward, shooting guard type. Like, mm-hmm. he's which is a part of defense people don't really talk about, but just yeah. grabbing defensive boards is, is important too. So yeah, I, I think he's a good player. I just mean as a rookie, as a, yeah, you can't, 19, you have to temper. Yeah. But he's I, 19 I think he's, coming in, into I think league, he's an right? NBA pro. Like I'd be very surprised he's out of the league in three years on, or no. on his fifth team in uh, six years in 2030 or something along those lines. So 100%. I agree with that. I want to make one other point on greedy Dick because I don't feel like it gets enough attention. Because I see a lot of times uh, his comps, they're obviously you're gonna you're gonna comp shooters to shooters, right? Understandably, yeah. but I think the one bit of nuance that gets lost in his shooting is how efficient he is off the dribble. Yeah, which is something yeah. the Raptors don't have a lot of guys who like to shoot off the dribble. So 
that indicates for me, when I look at guys who can score off the dribble, I, I think that the usage on offense can go up. Like that's the mm-hmm. indicator for me. Cause if you have guys that are great catch and shoot guys, that's great. And it's valuable in offense and you need those guys, but it's kind of a limited role. He's not just you're only uh, getting your offense when someone else is creating it for you. But if you can shoot off the dribble, there's indication that there's, there's steps and strides you can take to be more ball dominant, a little bit more of a primary scoring option at some point in his future. So I don't think that that's anytime soon. I don't think that, you know, that he's going to be the leading scorer on the team next season. Um, but I do think he has ability to be more of a scorer than probably he's giving credit for. Like Cal Corver was a fantastic shooter for a long time, but he sh- he scored exclusively in catcher shoots and coming off pin downs and screens and whatnot. So I don't think that it's going to be that type of profile. I think that the Raptors are actually going to find a way to get the ball in his hands a little bit more than maybe most traditional shooters would get it. No, I, I completely agree with what you said. I think that's, I think it was something crazy. Like he was like, 45%. it was a really high, it was really high like, off, off the dribble. I remember. Off the dribble, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I totally agree. I just, that's the, he's not just a open shooter that I think Kyle Korver is a perfect example. He's not that type of player exclusively. He is mm-hmm. definitely more than that. He has a better offensive profile than that. And, and he should be a guy that is just going to be in that 10 to 15 point range that, can score a bit and we'll see if he's more than that if he's more like a um kevin herter type and, and has more kind of in his bag but he'll he'll be a really good shooter from day one and the raptors desperately needed that and and especially with fred van Vliet going so i think i think it'll be a really f- interesting season and then let's see maybe the next uh weeks or 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 a couple weeks until uh maybe training camp and, and everything starts in september and october i i Let's let's go to the Canadian uh, men's and, and women's national team because yeah. I know Adam, you don't really have a lot of opinions on 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 no. the CSA and, and Canadian soccer. He, if if anyone follows a crate crate of freights on, did I get that right? I think I have that right. Yeah, crates of freights. Yeah, crates yeah, of freights on, on on Twitter. Um, Adam's handle. Uh, he he never talks about Canadian soccer or anything. He's no. basically a sycophant of. Uh, of uh, John Herdman and, and the CSA. So uh, he's, he's trying to get their jobs. So, um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, Canadian soccer because they have been in the news a lot for a lot of bad reasons of late. Maybe talk about the most recent one um, out, out of the myriad of, of kind of newsworthy um, information we've gotten in the past year since Canada made the world cup and in Canada soccer maybe being going going bankrupt and, and and talking about that and maybe just give the listener some people that might not know as much about Canadian soccer mm-hmm. um just an insight a little bit into uh the CSA which is the basically Canada soccer like the federation association yeah. like hockey Canada is uh for yeah. uh, hockey in this country yeah so the Canadian soccer association um and Canada soccer are I want to say at, at odds but I don't know if that's even the right way to, way to say it um, Canada soccer is contemplating filing bankruptcy, which I kind of thought initially, and I said this to a few friends, might have been a negotiation tactic. So let's backtrack a little bit. Maybe giving some context will help. Um, Canada soccer has had its most successful stretch on on uh, in terms of performance on the field, both on the men's and women's side in the past few years. But all of this is coming after a deal was signed with uh, something called CSB, which is a Canada soccer business or Canadian soccer business, something along those lines. 
yep which is a third party yeah it's a it's a third party like basically um a third party organization that took control of all the media and marketing uh responsibility for canada soccer and pays them an annual fee so during just in the time prior to covid uh, when the Canadian Premier League was just kind of a thought and it was, it was they hadn't played the first season yet, but it was just sort of um, a plan uh, for us to get our first domestic league, a uh, top flight league in this country. Um, and there was a, there was very few finances to go around. Uh, people had their sort of hands tied at, at Canada soccer. And in order to not cut funding to the essential programs, uh, the people at Canada soccer, which at the time was led by uh, Dr. Nick Bontis, uh, signed a deal that uh, essentially now we're looking back on as not a very good deal, but at the time was a deal that kept them alive and sort of allowed them to ensure the funding for the key national team and, and uh, youth like grassroots programs were able to be sustained. Um, you know, now we're looking back a few years and the deal they signed is not very lucrative. And there's issues between the players on both the men's and women's national teams and Canada soccer, because they don't feel like they're being paid their fair uh, their fair share for their contributions, the women winning an Olympic gold, men qualifying for a World Cup. Um, and nothing has changed essentially from what they're being offered. Uh, the Federation has claimed that they have no money to give the players. Uh, when when the players have to travel, they're not traveling first class, they're traveling like economy like you and I would travel. Yeah. So it's essentially like it's every little thing, right? When they have to go send them to hotel, the accommodations aren't top tier. Um, they can't schedule friendlies against bigger level opponents or really at all. So these are all the things that have come up as a result of Canada soccer claiming that there's no money. Um, and the root cause of this, again, is this 2018 deal with CSB that essentially ensured that there would be no money, uh, but also ensured that they had enough to sort of to finance operate and no, fi- yeah, to finance. The CPL was a big part of it, but also just to, to finance CPL without losing the core foundational programs of Canada soccer. So yeah. essentially they, 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 they sold their soul a little bit uh, in order to sort of stay alive and to not uh, have to file for bankruptcy back in 2018, maybe. And, and they ended up signing this long-term deal that extends to 2028, but I believe has an option for CSB to extend beyond that as well. So um, I think it's so, a 10 year extension. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's a mess. It's just a disaster. It's it's so now, now we're at a, so that's kind of the, the backstory in, in the, in current events. Um, I was very skeptical about the bankruptcy story and, and they actually walked it back. Uh, Jason DeVos, who I don't know what his title is right now, but he I think it's interim general secretary, but I could be. Yeah. So that, so that, that sounds about right. It was something general, general secretary of Canada soccer. Um, and he, he sort of walked the comments he made back about, they were exploring bankruptcy as an option apparently. And he was saying, we're not actually in a position where we're contemplating filing for bankruptcy. It was more so, we wanted to understand the strategic angle of looking into bankruptcy at the found bankruptcy. Um, so he, he sort of walked the, con- the the comments back, which I, which I always anticipated was the case because they're still working on a, a, a bargaining agreement between Canada soccer is between the national teams and Canada soccer. So I, I thought it would make sense to sort of, you know, talk about how dire the situation was and sort of yeah. paint this picture that we don't have any money to give you. And we're, we're even contemplating bankruptcy. So that's, I think a, an element of it. Um, that's why I would, I would, you know, maybe read between the lines a little bit. I don't think they're in a great financial situation at all. No, soccer, yeah, but I, I but I do, I do think they've made it seem maybe more dire than it really is. And, and there is a lot of 
Um, I think, you know, I wouldn't say everyone at Canada soccer has uh, not been mired with controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of uh, Dr. Nick Pontus was Christine Sinclair told the heritage committee that he basically called her the B word. Um, I think it was yeah, that. Yeah. It's... Yeah. And yeah, um, there was a lot, there was a, a lot of stuff <laughs> basically when negotiating for the women's national team who just won a gold medal, won three consecutive medals at um, the Olympics, always make the world cup, always do at least decently the past couple world cups um, and hopefully this summer. So it just, mm-hmm. and the women's national team, just so people know, they protested uh, their game in, I think it was March. Um, the men's national team protested games last summer in Canada. So it's it's not as though the players aren't getting involved and not asking for reform. Um, Nick Bontis or Dr. Nick Bontis resigned um, a couple months ago in the new year. So like it, it it's all um not going great um Mm -hmm. and uh i mean you you, you're more plugged into this than maybe i am but maybe just explain how much of an impact this has on youth teams on um the 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 national teams not just missing friendlies but how that affects maybe in a broader sense just the teams themselves and acquiring players and players wanting to play for canada and everything it's huge i can't i I don't think i could um, state the importance quite enough. Um, the dual, dual national recruitment, I mean, you just understand that the country of Canada is extremely diverse and every single person in this country for the most part has dual eligibility, uh, either through their parents or through their grandparents. They, they would be eligible by FIFA standards to represent more than one country. So when you sort of use that as the, as the context uh, and then you, you think about the lack of youth camps that are actually taking place because of the lack of money. So meaning like, you know, the U S and Mexico will regularly have under 17, under 20 camps, even under 15 camps. Like they will regularly hold them even when there's not a, a tournament or, um, you know, an event that they have to play in that they're building up to. They'll just sort of use these camps to keep tabs on players and get them in their system and get them familiar with other players in the system and just the camaraderie of the team. We, don't have that luxury on either the men's or women's side. It's more notable, I think, on the men's side. I think that's we we we're having more struggles with with dual yeah. mats on the on the men's side, but it certainly uh, applies to the women's side as well. Just not having youth camps with any sort of frequency or regularity, and then that that trickle the trickle down effect of that is well, we're not as prepared coming into the tournaments when they do happen because we're just built, we're putting a team together and everyone's kind of meeting each other, you know, a couple weeks, a week and a bit before a major tournament we're sending them to. Whereas, you know, our biggest rivals in the region will have this group that's kind of been built over the course of months and they've had many camps together and they know each other already because they have the funds to, to fly them all out and get them into camp together and, you know, pay for all their accommodations, yada, yada, yada. Um, so they do these camps frequently. And those camps are very important in terms of actually performing at these tournaments at the, you know, CONCACAF U17 championships, CONCACAF U20s kind of qualify for for under 20 World Cups, under 17 World but, Cups. And those that also contributes to dual national recruitment because when you're playing in an under 20 World Cup, that's a pretty big sales pitch to a young player saying, hey, you know, come play for us because you can play in an under 20 World Cup. Obviously, you don't have that that uh, tool at your disposal when you don't qualify for an under 20 World Cup because you're you're not financing the programs the way you should. You're not getting guys in camps uh, early enough to sort of prepare for those big tournaments, those big events. 
So it, it's it's a it's a big giant snowball to answer your question. And it starts at the youth level, and that's certainly where a lot of the dual nats are lost. It's not so much at the senior level. A lot of them are lost at the youth level. Uh, Herdman's spoken to this at, at, at length, and for all the flack Herdman's, a lot of probably deserved flack he's, he's taken lately, this is one area that I completely agree with everything he's saying. Um, we would 100% need to get serious in this country about our national team programs, and it starts with having uh, a stable, uh, consistent, stable funding for the the youth programs, which has not been the case maybe ever in this country, but certainly um, it has not followed suit with the rise of both the men's and women's national teams. Yeah, and it's not even just the national teams. It's just, for example, an easy way to think about it is when the men's national team made the World Cup, when CIBC and all these other sponsors are tagging along, that money isn't going directly to Canada soccer yes. because of the CSB deal. It's not going to the players. It's not going to Canada soccer funding more um, fields or programs or youth teams or getting mm-hmm. charters or friendlies like that money. I mean, I'm not saying none of it is going to it, but it it isn't just a windfall that normally yeah. you would see um from it and that's huge because canada never had that kind of money and and to be fair i think that's why canada soccer made that kind of bet was because there wasn't i don't think yeah any, i mean sure there's someone that bet canada would make the world cup in 2018 but i didn't um, yeah right so i, I actually and, chatted with nick bondis uh, this was was prior to all of this happening this was a couple of years ago uh and essentially wow. saying like like this was a bailout like it was a bailout at the time uh, yeah. None of the networks wanted to take Canada's um, national teams. Like the broadcast rights were were worth nothing. They were essentially begging networks to air games. So that was the situation they were in. So kind of to understand the deal, you you have to first understand where they were uh, and the headspace that they were in, and 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 sort of how dire it was. And obviously, that doesn't change anything about it, it was a bad deal. You know, we we assess deals yeah. in hindsight. If I sign a player to a long term contract. And the player is always injured and, and, you know, when he's healthy, he doesn't play well. At the end of the day, you can say, well, he was good at the time. or Well, we really needed a right-handed defenseman. That, you know, you can say whatever you want. But at the end of the day, we assess the deal as time passes. And the deal's been brutal for Canada soccer. It, had they just held out a little bit longer um, and allowed that rise to sort of take place and both the men's and women's national teams, like you said, all, all those all those partnerships, they'd be raking in money from. Uh, instead, it's going to this third party, the CSB, who's not like totally wasting it. And, and, and no, no, and they're and not, they're not Scrooge fair, McDuck and just like swimming the, in <laughs> the CPL and, yeah. and soccer. I mean, for people in our media, I'm friends with a lot of people at one soccer, great people. Um, and, and also with the CPL, like you can see it. We like, we might talk quickly about the gold cup team. There's a lot of CPL guys that yeah, either, ex, yeah, the ex CPL guys that, that went through the Canadian Premier League. There's now Project Eight, which I'm, I'm not—I don't think is necessarily tied to it, but I'm sure looking at it domestically being somewhat successful. Maybe they—they they haven't been made necessarily making profits in the CPL, but mm-hmm. it's growing. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure that helps Diana Matheson get funding for Project Eight. Let's see when that goes up. Hopefully, it's by 2025. Uh, I talked to Peter Galindo and Alex Gange Ruzik. I don't think they were as optimistic for that date, but it does seem as though the wheels are turning in terms of a new women's domestic league, which is just of course needed and mm-hmm. um, should have happened at the same time as the the CPL itself. So um, it's definitely had positive effects in, in, in certain ways, 
but um, maybe they could have done that. They should have done that deal in a way where it didn't completely take away all the potential revenue from Canada soccer. If Canada were to be successful and they were, the women won a gold medal and the men made a world cup and uh, the women are, are going to uh, uh, the, the, the world cup again. And um, yeah, so I think everything you said is on the nail, but I just wanted to kind of point that out as well. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think, I think it's important to assess with, like to analyze this with uh, all the context available and what CSB has done, allowing the Canadian Premier League to grow as quickly as it has. Um, it's, it's been valuable to Canadian soccer and we'll, we'll have a lot of value in the long run, but it's just, you know, then a debate of how valuable is it if it's hindering the national teams currently. So it, it, it's not a simple answer, um, but Canada soccer has been in, uh, in a pretty precarious situation now for, for, well, I would say the last yeah three years or so, uh, and it doesn't seem like it's go, it's going away. And every every time you think things are getting a little better, some new news comes out and rears its ugly head, and the whole Canada soccer community is back in a tailspin. So, do you is there anything you want to add, or do you want to go to maybe the the Gold Cup? And yeah, let's go Gold Cup. And maybe a little bit about the women's team, and then we'll we'll mm-hmm. end it off. I, I want to let's let's go to the Gold Cup, and um, I think partially because of the lack of funding, uh, there's a lot of players basically what we're missing seven eight nine regular starters yeah eight eight the, i think eight starters yeah and then squad players as well um yeah on, on the the men's national team they obviously lost to the u.s that was a pretty big disappointment i think more in terms of the way they lost rather than the result necessarily mm-hmm. um and now they're at the gold cup and just uh it's been a, a fun ride i did miss the game yesterday but i watched the the highlights and, and the, the the recap of Canada versus Guatemala. They tied Guadeloupe in the first game uh, in a late game equalizer, but they honestly, I think the draw was a fair result. Yeah. And, and, and in the Guatemala game, I mean, you watched it, but yeah, maybe yeah. It, it didn't, it seemed as though that was a fair result too. Yeah. If anything, Guatemala maybe hit the post and, and we're a bit closer. So um, maybe just talk a little bit about this gold cup and just maybe push the team forward a little bit to, they they have the qualifications for Copa America, which would be huge in the fall, and, and just where this national team's going, uh, going forward for the men. Um, I think the so so the Nations League obviously was disappointing in that they weren't able to secure a trophy, um, but now I thought where they would head in the Gold Cup would maybe be a little bit more experimental with the young players. I was a little bit disappointed to to see as many regulars. Um, and not necessarily like again, we said eight eight starters not there, so not necessarily the top end talent. All of Canada's best players are not at this tournament. Um, if you took their their, if you said who is Canada's best eight or nine players, and you remove them, that's essentially the team we have. Adding in a, a few new faces, some of which are are younger, but not all of which are younger. Um, the results obviously have been very disappointing. There's no there's no two ways about it. Guadeloupe uh, at home in Toronto needs to be a win. Um, it's not a horrible team, Guadeloupe, by the way. Um, yeah, a lot of people because people. Yeah. yeah because you know because it's not a country that they're all that familiar with. We'll probably assume that they should be a, a walk in the park, but they are. It's 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 a French island, meaning they're all French dual nats, and everyone on that team essentially plays in Europe, or a good chunk of the team plays in Europe, either in the first or second division in France or in the top divisions of Switzerland or Belgium. So it's not a pushover team. It, it was still a team that Canada should have beat, especially on home, on home soil. So there was that. And then, and then the Guata, the Guatemala game was a different beast entirely. Um, they went into Houston 
which apparently has like the largest Guatemalan population. Uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of fans. Packed. It was packed, like 40,000 strong of just wow. rowdy Guatemalans, and they made it a home match. It was, as I, I was saying to one of my friends, I think it was a, a more loud and intimidating home match than anything Canada faced in World Cup qualifying, which wow. says a lot because there were a few Central American destinations that were tough. But that was that was a rowdy, ruckus crowd, um, and so I thought uh, I thought they handled it all right. Again, I think this team, the, the main thing the Canadians should know is, um, without our eight best players, this is a very different looking team, and, and and the team is does not have the type of quality to be able to just impose their will on teams. Um, should they still have won, you know, the first game and maybe drawn the second game? Yes, but this isn't the Canadian it, team that maybe fans who have jumped on board in the last three years are accustomed to seeing just dominating. Matches. It just, it just reminded me of watching the team in like 2015. Yeah. And that's probably more what it's like akin to, right? It's just, yeah. it's like, there's some quality in Europe and there's, you know, there's definitely some good players on the field for Canada, but it just doesn't, they don't have that game changing talent um, of, you know, the likes of Davies and David and Buchanan and Eustachio and Laren and, Kone and Johnston it, like you know the list goes on and on like it's too many important players and uh unlike you know even the U.S. we see the U.S. do something very similar in the gold cups they send a, 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 an experimental sort of team of guys who are usually on the outside looking in for the national team but the U.S. has a little more success because frankly the U.S. has more good players they have yeah. more depth of good players um Canada's top players can compete Canada's top players can beat the U.S. on on the right day you know where they play really well but Canada's next year players there there is a bit of a drop off so i think what we have seen is a couple guys have emerged um which is the main thing for me is if, if a few of the young guys sort of stake their claim as to why they should be regular call-ups then at least there's some value in this in this tournament um because i don't think canada is going to win the tournament i think i think they're they're probably gonna i mean right. i think they're gonna get through the group but then they'll probably lose their next match because it's looking like it's going to be either Jamaica or the U.S. And Jamaica's team is, they have a bunch of Premier League really players. They called team. their best, essentially their best possible team, um, their A-team. And the U.S. didn't call their A-team, but still has enough quality that they'll be favorites against Canada. And it'll be in the U.S., of course. So either way, this tournament probably doesn't go on for super long for the Canadians. But I think if they can leave this tournament with a couple guys, so far, Ali Ahmed from the Vancouver Whitecaps, Moise Bombido from the Colorado Rapids. Those look to be the two young players who have kind of established themselves in a positive way. A few other guys getting minutes. Um, Jacob Schaffelberg, who many people might remember from Toronto FC, now on Nashville. Uh, he, he's come into both matches. Charles Andreas Brim, who is playing in the second division of the Netherlands. Some young, youngish players yeah. who are kind of getting their first real chance with the national team. Um, so that's been okay to see. But I am a little bit annoyed at how few of those young players really have I'm gotten surprised. a look. I'm, su- I'm surprised Morian's yeah. playing, honestly. Like, I don't get why it's not Dwayne. I don't understand it either. And Dwayne, I don't understand Dwayne it Claire's either. been so good in the MLS. Like, I just... Yeah. And he's so athletic and just, I don't... Maybe yeah. this is his swan song. Maybe this is Borean's. He wanted to play in Toronto. I don't really understand it. Yeah, but then um, you know, maybe then maybe that that makes sense for the Toronto game, but it doesn't make sense for the next game. And even yeah. if you know, I, I was I was talking to somebody else about this in a Twitter space. Like he was saying, and I fully agree with it. Not everybody deserves like a an Atiba Hutchinson send off. Like yeah. this is the national team, you know. So, I, well, it would be ideal to give everyone this like 
perfect swan song. Like it, it doesn't work that way. Um, and and uh, and Atiba is kind of in a, in a tier of his own in terms of what he's contributed to Canadian soccer. So I think the reality is they needed to go younger in this in this team. And I really wish Herden called the younger squad. And even of the young players he called, I kind of wish he he leaned on them a little bit more. What about there Schwan- are still some in the squad. Schwanier, Schwanier, um, <laughs> should be there. Like there's no. I know. I just so, wanted them to yeah, get you on your. So Schwanier yeah. should be there. Um, Schwanier was just named an MLS All Star, and he's 24 yeah. years old. He's really he's never represented Canada before, but he he should absolutely be there, especially considering the options they did call in the midfield. I I'm scratching my head. We're we're calling, you know, a player from and without with all due respect to these players because they are still good players, calling a player from the second division of Belgium, uh, which is Liam Fraser and and Moise Bombido, who's a center back, playing him out of position to play in the midfield, instead of calling one of the one of the guys who's deemed to be one of the best midfielders in MLS. Who yeah. had never represented Canada yet. So I, I for me again, head scratcher. Um Borean starting these first two matches over, as you mentioned, Dane St. Clair, um, but also not even calling Jonathan Sirwa, because he would have been another guy that I would have started, not even just brought, but started at some point. He's yeah. he has like eight clean sheets mm-hmm. in his last nine matches for Montreal, something absolutely insane yeah. at 20. He just turned 22 a couple days ago, but like another young player who's producing an MLS who's getting honors player of the week honors type thing. Like it really, for me, I just scratched my head a little bit because I don't understand what the purpose of this tournament is. They didn't send a team that's good enough to win and they didn't send a team with many young players to gain experience. So it's kind of like, I just don't understand the, the, the purpose, the goal, like what the goal of the tournament was. And maybe it was initially to win. And then Eustachio and, and Atacube had to be replaced. And maybe then all of a sudden the, the dynamic changed a little bit, but but I I think I think they were naive to think that they could win without you know all of their best players essentially, yeah. and um I think they're they're kind of you know they're they're reaping the uh, the 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 rewards if you will of of that decision like this is exactly what I expected uh, the group of players that they called isn't good enough to win this tournament maybe I expected a win against Guadeloupe but. Like I, I, I'm not overly shocked that they went in and drew nil nil against Guatemala with that crowd. I really am not that surprised. I, 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 I completely agree. And um, I mean, yeah, I, I think hopefully we'll see. But I, if John Herdman keeps beating the same drum of old players or Bombido in the wrong position or just a pl- position he's not playing for club. And it's never not, played, has never it's played. It's not football. like playing right back versus right wing back. Like that's that's a big yeah. difference. Yeah. Um uh well I think I think the, the criticism on Herman's fair. Now I'm not like some people that want him out. Yeah, um I mean, I either. that's that's too strong. And 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 also it's like who's gonna replace him? Like it's 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 <laughs> both, right? It's the grass is not always greener. So um I I think basically since the second game of the world cup and you could argue the first game because of the penalty i will always say jonathan david should do that mm-hmm. uh take that penalty sorry mm-hmm. but i don't think he's been very strong i don't think he's been tactically um kind of equipped and he was the exact opposite for basically all of qualifying so yeah um sometimes you know teams regress this team's also been now boycott uh, not boycotted but you know the, it's not the same team in terms of how they're reacting and, and interacting with the csa mm-hmm. herdman has to manage that maybe they yeah. don't they don't feel as gung-ho with him because he's kind of in between the two so 
anyways, my point being is sure he didn't uh hasn't done well uh compared to maybe what we thought going into the World Cup, but he got the team to the Nations League final. They beat Panama in a pretty convincing manner, considering mm-hmm. um I think they'll still be favorited to to make the the Copa America unless they maybe make it play a Jamaica or a team of that ilk. I think that might be tough, yeah. but depending on the draw, but they should still be all uh, pretty prepared for the World Cup, and we'll see who he recruits. Um, hasn't been as successful with like Aiden Morris and others, but I wouldn't say he's had people kind of slide out of his grasp other than maybe a Mitrovic, who yeah. Stefan Mitrovic, who people might not know, but he's playing for Serbia now and, and probably would have played for Canada if it wasn't for the youth camp. So, um, yeah. yeah, is there anything else you want to touch before we go to the women's team? Yeah, no, not a whole lot. Um, I think he hops the women's team. Yeah, no. Uh, now I I obviously uh, have such an affinity for the women's team. They really got me into to Canadian soccer. I remember I was actually living abroad, but watching Christine Sinclair that game, I actually stayed longer at school to to see it go, and then uh, obviously know what happened with uh, in, in extra time and everything. But in mm-hmm. 2012 in London, yeah. But maybe just talk about this team quickly before we end this uh, megapod in terms of just how this team is shaped up going into the group uh, into the world cup. They're in a tough group. Like they don't really have any mm-hmm. minnows. They have Ireland, um, Australia and, and Nigeria. Nigeria mm-hmm. tied them in Canada last yep. summer. So just talk a bit about the team and, and maybe what you should want, what you expect going into the world cup. Yeah. Um, it's so the team. The team has quality. Um, last world cup. I, I remember being very disappointed with Canada's performances. Yeah. And and just feeling like they they left a lot on like they left a lot of of their more skilled players maybe off the squad or maybe not even off the squad but not not in the elevens, um I think they leaned a lot on their veterans in the last World Cup the people who had sort of got them through to that point and and maybe there was a a criticism of of being overly um overly comfortable with your familiar faces. And I just thought they were a little old. I thought they were a little old, that they were step slow, that they were technically a step behind, and they got exposed in that World Cup. Um, then they seemed to figure some things out in the Olympics, and it all kind of clicked. But I've said this about the women's program, and I actually, I actually, I, I, I've gotten some flack about it at times. I think we've fallen behind on the women's side. Yeah, um, I think Canada was a genuine superpower on the women's side, up there with the U.S., a tier below, but like, good enough that they could compete and maybe win occasionally. But I, I think technically as the European federations have invested in soccer, uh, specifically on the women's side, because they've always invested in the, in the men's, yeah. side, but as they've so, sort of seen this more lucrative opportunity on the women's in the women's game, and they're starting to sell stadiums out for women's champions league games. And like, yeah. so th- there's an investment in that the part of the, of the game. Yeah, the Euro and the Euros like huge tickets uh, for w- the women's Euros. So it's like Europe has really taken women's soccer seriously. I think the big advantage that Canada and the US had for so long was that they were the only two countries that really, I mean, Sweden, there were a few, but they the really, there were very few countries that really invested in women's soccer. Um, and Canada happened to be one of them. Now, what you've seen with like Japan over the past decade and the, the investment they put in both the men's and women's programs, but you know, the women's programs we're talking about right now. Um, and what you're seeing Spain do, what you're seeing what France has done, what England has done with the women's program. Yeah. The list goes on and on and on. The Dutch, like, I, I don't know if Canada 
it's going to go in as one of the favorites because I still think, despite being the reigning gold uh, Olympic gold medalists, I still think there are teams that are significantly more skilled than Canada. Um, so that for me is the big concern and the big picture. Like, how do we fix this? And probably youth camps and money and all that sort of stuff is a factor. And Project um, but I also think it's yeah, Project Eight. I also think it's how we develop talent in this country. I think I think at younger levels, this applies to both the men's and women's side. At younger ages, we tend to take the best players and promote them into, which is what you should do, and promote them into into academy setups. But the best players are a lot of times at that age the most athletically gifted players, the biggest players, the strongest players, the fastest players. But the players catch up, and the issue is those players aren't always the most technically gifted players. So I almost would rather really emphasize like the technical aspect of the game tiki-taka quick passing movement off the ball dribbling shooting like the stuff that they do in europe better than us just point blank i would i would rather get those players in sort of the higher level academy setups uh, at younger ages and then hope that they fill out and physically mature and get to a point where you know they can play against the best men and the best women but i think that's one of the flaws of how we've developed talent is we is we kind of pigeonhole our talent based on who's the best at a young age and a lot of the times that could just be who hit puberty first. Like it's that simple sometimes, yeah. you know, but, and, and then, you know, in three, four years, then you kind of, you kind of, you, you have this TFC Academy prospect and they've been in the Academy for six, seven years. And, and you just assume that because they've kind of come through that Academy that they're better, but they might never have been better. They might never have been actually at that level. Technically there are better players who sort of are late bloomers and kind of slip through the cracks. So again, this applies to both the men's and women's programs. I think that's probably a part of it. I think it's our approach to developing talent is a big part of it. Um, to get back to this specific group without getting on too big of a tangent, there mm. is quality on this team. Um, Julia Grosso has had a fantastic season at Juventus. Um, uh, there's more than enough options up top. Uh, Adriana Leon can score. Uh, Jordan Heidema kind of comes in and out of game sometimes, but she can score. Uh, Vans can score. Uh, so there, there's, I mean, I don't know if Sinclair is going to be somebody that they can rely on at this point, but they have people who should be able to score. Sinclair has tucked more into the midfield in the last couple of years, which I think is a position that really suits her and her. She it's still like has a, a lot of strength on the ball. Yeah, kind of like a number ten. Yeah. Um, the strength of the team has always been the center backs between Buchanan and Zadorsky and uh, Gilles. Like those are those are the real. That's like the the big strength of the team is like they have world class center backs um and ashley lawrence is still a rock so i like jade revere so th there's enough good players and of course the gold you know the golden hero uh jesse fleming who's amazing uh, who's great so there's enough good players like there's enough good players that they still should be able to put really competitive teams out there i think the biggest issue for canada is when those other teams run 15 16 deep with quality and class and everyone's good on the ball and i don't think canada i don't think canada first of all have the same kind of quality on the ball I think they have to play a little more direct. Um, they they take advantage of the fact they have great center backs and have great pace on the wings and they have a lot of these things. But I, I don't think they have when the game slows down. I don't think they have the the quality to break teams down when they sit in low blocks. Nigeria is probably going to sit in a low block encounter, right? That's something you have to be prepared for. Canada didn't look good when they did that at uh, what is it called um, the stadium, Pacific Stadium. I'm blanking now. Right. When they played when they played in when they played in Canada recently, like not that recently anymore, I guess. But like I mean, a year ago. Yeah. yeah. When they when they played last in Canada, Canada struggled against that. 
right? If I remember the game correctly, I think Nigeria scored two, first. Two. Yeah, I think it and was then two, Canada two. had to kind of work back into the game, and then Nigeria got back. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, it was a while ago, but I, I just I remember Canada not looking very good, and and kind of feeling like they had a, a big struggle to break Nigeria down, and that's concerning because if you look at the group they're in, Nigeria should be their weakest opponent, I would imagine. Yeah, right? Australia and, and uh, Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, Ireland. So maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's Ireland. Ireland. But yeah, but Australia's Sam Kerr, who's yeah, off. Australia will be will be better than both those teams, both those other teams, and and at home. So that's a tough that's a tough opponent, and then that means your margin for error is zero. You can't lose to Nigeria. You can't, you know, even a draw puts you in a precarious situation. So, so yeah, I, I'm a little concerned about it. I don't think they're um, a real contender. I think they're. I would put them in like the dark horse category where they have enough quality that they can make a run. But I, I don't see them as like a like a high contender. I th- I think the way they won the the Olympics is the way they can win this tournament or go yeah. deep is they'll they'll be good defensively, they'll be compact. They have just enough going forward. It's kind of interesting. I mean, they're not exactly the same to the men's, but I think the counterattack and and off the wings um obviously I wouldn't say the defense is the strongest for the men's team, but yeah, yeah. um the idea of kind of counterattack football is probably more what they'll do and more direct, I think is, is I think you yeah. get that right. Is that's more what they do strongly. Janine Becky being out is huge. I think that yeah. would have been a huge um, piece. Maybe just for her pace to, is valuable. Yeah. And just, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it will be really interesting to see how they, how they do. Um, personally, I think if they make the quarters, I'd be really happy with that. Truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a bit worried. They don't make it out of the group with everything going on. That's my, yeah pessimistic hat canadian fan that's used to to misery maybe not on the women's side um but i'm a bit worried about the group um and and making it out but i think a quarterfinals i know i was talking to i mentioned before but peter galindo and alex gange rustic and ben steiner I, I think quarters is probably if you get that and you lose a tight game to whoever you, you're yeah. fine and, and you never know like they can make the semis I think yeah. making the final or winning is probably a one step too far, but probably the range of outcomes is even with my pessimism is probably round of 16 to, to, to semifinals and, Oh yeah. To the semis. Yeah. And, and it, you know, the higher, obviously better and uh, we'll see. And I'm excited and I always love watching them at the world cup. So yeah, they'll, they'll be, and it'll be good. I think, I think what they do bring is that I think I'm more, maybe my nerves is more because I'm more nervous because of the group, but once they get to knock out football, I'm more confident in them in, them in yeah. a way because of what they did at the Olympics, they won shootouts. Like that's yeah. not always, you know, that's a no. nice <laughs> kind of thing, but yeah. they, they know how to make it where they can maybe play better teams. Like I don't think yeah. they were better in the final against Sweden, but no, they, they, they weren't better in the final, and you know, debatably, we weren't better against the U.S. either. So yeah, it's Brazil, so. it's yeah. Brazil, yeah. Like I mean, they really scraped it. Like, and I think I think that gets lost, and this what always comes up. I know we probably got in this soon. But this this is what always comes up whenever I talk about the women's team, and I say this exact same same spiel that I just said to you. People are like, oh, but they just won Olympic gold. How? Are... I like people think I I say it in in a disparaging way. It's completely the opposite. I say it in like a wreck, like it's like when you can recognize that I think we're resting on our laurels a little bit, you know, yeah. like, I think we're, we're like, I we're like, perfect. Oh, but we won the Olympic gold. It's <clears> like, yeah, but that, that like, 
how did we win the Olympic gold? Did we win because mm-hmm. we just like Spained in a Euro and we just dominated everyone and no. had 70% possession? No, like we, we won playing counter-check football and getting like three penalty kick wins. Like again, it's soccer. It's great. It counts all the or, same yeah. and it's the same color. You know what I mean? But like, I also think when you, when you have to project long-term and big picture, you can see issues that are going to become bigger issues in the future, you know? And and that's my big stressor is like, I think, I think that I don't want that to be the peak and the only time we've ever lift any silverware. I I, I hope that we can sort of buck this trend and this next generation of Canadian talent actually changes my perspective a little bit, because I do think we're heading kind of, we're heading kind of on a slight downward slide and all these other European nations, specifically the European nations are just, completely mexico even right mexico's put a ton of money into the into liga mekis uh feminine the feminine you know i don't know what they call it yeah and they've been doing better and 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 the the national team even at the youth level they just beat the u.s if i'm not mistaken in the finals of uh concacaf so it's like us and they beat canada right they came back and they beat Canada. anyways this is my point is is that i think that we're we're not heading in the direction we should be long term on the women's side and i'm a little bit i'm a little bit worried about that you know in five what does that mean in 10 years from now I, th- I think the the way you have to be for to be a Canadian soccer fan is uh, cautiously pessimistic. Like <laughs> it's like uh, it's it's going well, but it's also not going well. If mm. that makes sense, it's the yeah. best. It's the best and worst times, right? Of times yeah. uh, to to take a, that great line. Um, so thanks so much, um, Adam. I do have some breaking news that uh, you might be interested. Uh-oh. As we've been, it's not crazy big, but it looks like Max Domi is going to the Leafs. Maybe just that's your instant big. instant reaction for $2.5 million. Kiprios, that's what he said. He said, sounds like wow. Friedman uh, tweeted at it as well. Um, so I don't think it's fully confirmed, but it seems more likely than not. Just what, what do you think of that? I like it. I like Max Domi. I, I think, again, it's part of this culture shift of uh, a team that's a little bit more, I don't know, they got they got to have... They need nails on that team. You know, yeah. they need guys who are just nails. And Domi's nails. And his dad is nails too. So I, I think they need a little bit of that. I mean, obviously, this seems to be a total shift in the in a swing in the pendulum um towards this certain profile and type of player that they didn't have, maybe. Um, and this is what happens. You lose to a team like Florida, who goes on to make the Stanley Cup finals, and you're like, how do we become more like Florida? Right, yeah. they lose to a team like Tampa, and they're like, "How do we become more like Tampa?" Like, this is just the natural thing you do. You you, yeah. you look at who beats you, and you just try to like mimic them. So I think that's what that this this reminds me. This is the type of move that the Panthers would make. All yeah. the moves they made are the type of move the Panthers would make. All one year deals and all yeah. betting that the salary cap in Gary Bettman's world goes up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I'm, I feel like they might be a bit wrong on how much that goes up, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, and, and thanks so much, Adam, for this uh, great conversation. Always fun. And uh, everyone should follow you on Twitter as well. Creative Freights. If there is uh Twitter and whenever yeah. this posts in a, a day, uh, I'm sure there will be, but uh, it doesn't feel like it's going well uh, for Elon. So um, yeah. thanks so much, Adam, for, for taking the time. I had a blast. Uh, I think we hit almost two hours. So um, next time we'll make it three. So, uh, thanks so much, Adam, and and have a great uh, rest of the summer. And we'll definitely uh, do this again. Take care. Thank you so much. Also, uh, everyone, please uh, like, rate, follow, subscribe everywhere. Um, it really helps out the podcast, and uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, follow uh, Alex Adams BTB on 
uh, Twitter or behind the play podcast as well. I'm trying to put a, a Twitter account together for uh, the podcast as well. So um, thanks so much guys for listening and, and have a great uh, rest of the week.